Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC New York and 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say be just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Boy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sid and Friends in the Morning. This is a certified friend of Sid, an FOS, uh, Frank Morano, sitting in for this hour alongside a man celebrating a big day today. Andrew Giuliani. Hello, Andrew. Sid, uh, I mean, Sid, Jiminy Christmas. Frank, it's great to see you, my it's friend. It's great to how see about you. That? You know, you're looking more and more like Sid every day. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to, I don't know how we feel about that. So. You may not get invited back. I, as no, I may not. If that's the case. <laughs> Happy St. Andrew's Day. Thank you very much. Yes. I appreciate that. You know, I, uh, it certainly was not named after me as, Certainly, my past transgressions can uh, can can uh, can approve. Well, we know that, Andrew so. Cuomo's no saint, so no, that's for sure. So, uh, a lot to get to, and uh, I don't know even know where to begin. You know, there used to be a time when uh, the period between Christmas, or, or, or between Thanksgiving and Christmas, was relatively slow news-wise. Those days are long gone. Uh, I think uh, one of the stories that people are talking about in New York and nationally is this incredible scene down by the Rockefeller Christmas tree yesterday where a lot of these pro-Palestinian protesters were uh, getting pretty rowdy. One person seen with uh, a, a swastika. The cops were being called Nazis. The Israelis were being called Nazis. And if there's one thing that's going to win you people over to your cause, it's protesting first the Thanksgiving Day Parade <laughs> and then Christmas. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts on where we are with this? First off, the irony of pro-terror groups, because the pro-terror protesters, I say, because I don't call them pro-Palestinian protesters. These are pro-terrorist protesters. In the light of all these protests rising up after the Hamas massacres, they're pro-terrorist protesters. That's what they are. But in the, the, if you think about the irony of the fact that they're out there with a swastika saying that you guys are the ones that are Nazis, it's beyond absurd. And you're absolutely right. For the people that are looking, trying to enjoy the Thanksgiving Day Parade, coming from all around the world, to enjoy the Christmas tree lighting. I ended up seeing one person there who was just saying, like, the, the exact thing that you're saying, which is they ended up doing their yearly savings to be able to come to New York mm. to enjoy this, and now all of a sudden they're out there with people that are out there protesting the fact that, uh, I don't know, that uh, that Hamas does not have more autonomy in basically ruling over the Gaza Strip and putting more torture on these Palestinian people and trying to eradicate more Jews around the world. So it's it's beyond absurd. I found it uh, absurd when, during the Thanksgiving Day Parade, these protesters were actually gluing themselves to the street to, I don't know what they were trying to do, because I felt like a lot of the people that were at that protest one, especially being in a city like New York, many of them might have been sympathetic to uh, not, you know, bombing innocent civilians in places like Gaza. Uh, but I think a lot of them probably didn't have strong opinions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. If there's one thing that is going to turn you against any sort of a cause, it's disrupting a family parade or a family event like 
uh, the uh, Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting. And I, I just think it's incredibly counterproductive yeah. to anything these folks are wanting to do. Look, Christmas, Thanksgiving, as much as we joke about politics at the Thanksgiving right. Day table and all that stuff, it really should be days where politics should take a back seat. And when you're talking about the Thanksgiving Day Parade, when you're talking about the Rockefeller Christmas lighting, so many other events around Christmas time, it's a time to put that stuff aside and say, you know what, uh, it, it's a day where humanity should shine. The fact that they actually made this their cause, I think it really is very, very telling. Uh, and it's, it's very, look, it's, it's very disturbing when, when you look at all of this and you see what Hamas is actually doing, how they're actually the ones that are committing these war crimes, certainly in my opinion, by putting civilians in the line of fire. That's what they're do- doing by building their military bases around hospitals. Um, they're, they're so misinformed, these people that are protesting on behalf of Hamas. That it's uh, it's just it's tough to fathom. See, I think you know there's really two separate issues, right? Is uh, do you want to be out there protesting against what Israel is doing right now? I think you make a strong case that probably that's ill considered. And then two, it's the manner in which you're protesting. Yes. If someone wants to protest uh, outside of Chuck Schumer's office, a couple of blocks away from here, there are usually protests there. Great. You yeah. want to protest outside the UN? That's great. I think when you're disrupting people's lives this way. That's where I think, and forget about the calling the cops Nazis and trying to uh, <laughs> scale the News Corp building as they were trying to do uh, yesterday. I think that's a, a totally different level. I think you're you're not being peaceful as a protester. You're being incredibly disruptive. Well, to that point, it, it reminds me of a few months ago during the uh, semifinals of the U.S. Open. I think the U.S. Women's Open. I had a friend who was up there in, in the rafters that day. And you had a climate protester who glued themselves to the front row, basically, and was yelling the whole time. And I was thinking, wait a second, if you're out at the U.S. Open, probably 99% of the people there agree with your cause and don't even want to discuss how much humans actually contribute to this. <laughs> so you're probably, you know, going at the wrong people over here. If anything, you'll probably get people to say, you know what? They're too radical for, for my, for exactly. my, right. exactly. So, I, right. I really do think that the people that were out there in New York yesterday, this was the opposite of being rational, the opposite of being strategic. And let's say there was something to what they were protesting. This totally diverts attention away from, you know, uh, what Israel's doing. And it then focuses on their own bizarre conduct. I mean, uh, winning, you win no fans protesting Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, well, I, I guess one of the questions, and I want to pose to you, but really I want to also pose it to Curtis Lee when he comes in at the 7 o'clock hour is, we knew coming forward this was something that these pro-terror groups, these pro-terror protesters were going to do. They were going to protest the Christmas tree lighting. Curtis has been talking about it for the last couple of days. It was posted on their message boards. Do we think that the, uh, that the, I guess that heads at City Hall and at one police plaza did a good job in making sure that this did not actually interrupt the NBC festivities or do we think that they should have intercepted them before they had the opportunity to actually get on 6th Avenue, literally 
right by, probably almost two arms lengths away from the Christmas tree? It's such a good question, and I, I think since Curtis was there, I'd be curious to get his take. But I think City Hall did a, a, a fine job, honestly, and the NYPD did a fine job. I watched a bit of the NBC telecast with the tree lighting. Uh, I have a whole bunch of other questions about that. Maybe we could ch- chat about that later. But it looks like it went off without a hitch. I mean, I feel bad for all these tourists that came and weren't able to um, make their way down towards the tree undeterred. But it went and happened. The telecast happened. It looked like there were people there. I mean, for, what can you do if there are hundreds of people there? And they set up these barriers, and the people that went through the barriers were arrested. I mean, what else should the cops have done? So uh, I didn't watch the telecast. Did it come? Did you hear no, any of the audio? Nothing you not saw or anything totally like that? Normal. Okay, I the got portion you. that I saw. Uh, if you want to comment on uh, what we saw with these protesters in Rockefeller Center, uh, we'd love to hear from you. This is Sid and Friends in the morning. Andrew Giuliani here with Frank Morano. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That is eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty. Sid is off today, and tomorrow, um, Andrew and I are going to be here until 7. Andrew's sticking around and is going to be joined by Curtis Lewa and John Katsimatidis. And there's no telling what will occur when those three get together, especially on a big news day like this. As we were saying last week, an airing of dirty laundry. And I'll tell you what, it was a blast. We had a great time. Uh, there's so much to talk about, whether it's Kissinger. Obviously, we're taking a look to see whether or not this George Santos uh, expulsion vote ends up coming to the floor today, might be tomorrow. Um, and you were mentioning something that we might get to in the next segment regarding uh, another political comeback, which I thought was fascinating. But we can get that whenever you want, because... It, well, since you mentioned piece, Santos, um, it, it looks like it's a matter of, you know, you can... He's looking like the new Liz Truss. There's a head of lettuce <laughs> that may last longer than he lasts in Congress at this point. Um, I, I know Lou loves the topic. Lou and I were talking before. I, he wants Santos all the time, basically. He I, would, if, if Santos had an OnlyFan page, Lou would be the first subscriber. Well, look, at, at the, right, at the, the track record that this radio station has hiring people with baggage, you never know. George Santos <laughs> may end up doing, uh, do, doing a shift here. Hopefully he stays away from overnight. Uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, was con- Commenting on some of the reservations he has about expelling George Santos. He was Speaker Johnson yesterday. Bring this audio. There were opinions shared on on both sides. I'll answer it this way, Monday. Listen, I said that the Republican Party is the rule of law team, and we are. We believe in the rule of law. There are people of good faith who make an argument, both pro and con, for the expulsion. Resolution for Santos. The, there are people who say you have to uphold the rule of law and allow for someone to be convicted in a criminal court uh, before this, um, this 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 tough penalty would be exacted on someone. That's been the precedent so far. There are others who say, well, upholding the rule of law uh, requires us to take this step now because some of the things that he's alleged to have done, uh, the House Ethics Committee having done their job, uh, are infractions against the House itself. And so what we've said as a leadership team is we're going to allow people to vote their conscience. I think it's the only appropriate thing we can do. Um, We've not whipped the vote, and we wouldn't. Um, I I trust that people will make that decision thoughtfully and in good faith. Um, I personally have real reservations about doing this. I'm I'm concerned about a precedent that may be set for that. Um, So everybody's working through that, and we'll see how they vote tomorrow. Andrew Giuliani, you've uh, run for governor yourself. You worked in the White House. What's your view of the Santos situation? If you were in Congress, would you vote to expel? 
I think what Johnson is saying is uh, really on target in terms of how slippery a slope this actually creates. I mean, when you look at some of the people in Congress right now, including Adam Schiff, who has lied to Congress, who has lied to the American people, you can look at Rashida Tlaib. And the fact that we are focused on Santos, uh, why don't we vote to expel some of these other members? We're expelling Santos instead when he hasn't been convicted. With that being said, my feeling on Santos is... To me, from everything that I've seen, from everything that I'm read, from knowing him a little bit before all of this and seeing him on the campaign trail while we were candidates, I think the guy is uh, probably guilty of these crimes. That's my personal feeling. Obviously, I haven't seen it at a, in a court of law. I haven't seen him uh, present a defense aside what he's been able to do in the media, including on Sid and Friends a few short weeks ago. Um, so I understand what is the... Um, Concern of Johnson, which is protecting the actual, uh, if you will, innocence in tr- until proven guilty from the expulsion versus the actual political side of this, which is, A, as Brian Kilmeade said to you on your show in the 430, in the four, about 430 or so, that's an extra vote for Republicans. I, I think that's actually a bad argument. Right. And, and uh, I think it's a bad. I'll tell you about that in a sec. But also then what this means for those New York Republicans in Long Island, where if he's a former member versus a current member in 2024, if he's if he ends up uh, getting expelled from Congress, then you're not running against him as much. He's more in the rearview mirror. The more you put in the rearview mirror, the more the potential New York three, depending on redistricting. Obviously, there's a lot of different things at play uh, comes back into play for Republicans as a real winnable, strong red seat. Um, the reason why I think the Kilmeade uh, thought, which I've heard a lot of times, I heard it when McCarthy was speaker, now when Johnson's speaker, is a bad idea, is because, really, it's like, look, it, you're going to cost these Republicans, these New York Republicans, a shot at winning re-election, a better shot at winning re-election if they have to run against Santos in every single mailer, in every single uh, in every single thing that the opponent is basically going to bring up about their their candidacy. Yeah, my view is, and I'd be curious where where listeners come down on this. And if people just waking up, this is sitting friends in the morning. Andrew Giuliani here with Frank Morano. You can call us at eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. I feel exactly the same way about George Santos that I do uh, Bob Menendez, which is if you don't think they should be in Congress, don't vote for them. Yeah. In the case of Santos, he is not going to be in office anyway. Mm-hmm. He's he's stepping down. But um, for the people that were not part of the Confederacy that have been expelled from Congress, every single one has been expelled only after being convicted of a major crime. I think to set the stage that we're now going to expel people that do objectionable things without checking in with the voters, um, that do objectionable things before they're convicted of a thing, I think that sends the message to every prosecutor in this country that all you have to do is indict someone of the other party, and there's now a precedent to expel that person from Congress. And I, I think it's a really dangerous place. Mm-hmm. I'm no fan of Bob Menendez. I wouldn't have voted for him even before mm-hmm. this scandal. But the guy, let's go through the trouble of having a trial before we throw him out of the Senate and in the case of Santos, the House. Yeah, look, I saw this back in 2021, maybe early 2022, that Santos has was lying about some smaller things on the campaign trail. I was obviously focused on my gubernatorial sure. campaign. I knew that they were looking for potentially another candidate. It was a seat that was actually at one point 
point offered to me by the New York GOP chairman at the time, Nick Langworthy. I know Curtis Lee was approached by Joe Cairo about this. So they knew that there were problems with Santos. I don't think they knew to the degree, and they didn't do their own opposition research, if you will, on the candidate. Um, but everything you were saying is absolutely right. This is a very slippery slope. If you don't let the legal process play the play out here then uh i mean who, who knows what's next what, what made you just out of curiosity decide not to run for that seat it was was it because you were already in the midst of a gubernatorial campaign was yeah. that it yeah that was it I, and look I, I loved where our polling was i think uh congressman zeldin if you look at uh you know the last month of our of our campaign he closed very strong the fact that he had the party on his side to be able to push his message and kind of really damper our message. WABC was great at allowing us airtime, but a lot of other places did not allow us airtime. And, and because of that, I think Congressman Zeldin was able to close very strong in the last six weeks of our primary. Well, you won successful. in my home borough, that's for sure. <laughs> we did. We won uh, Staten Island. I think we won four or five of the counties and all of them were downstate counties. I think three of them were in New York City. All right. Andrew Giuliani here with Frank Moran. We're going to take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. And uh, America's most famous diplomat has passed away at 100. There are some serious discussions about his legacy. And don't look now. If you thought Andrew Cuomo's political comeback was uh, something that was going to make you lose your lunch, there's someone that's poised to come back into politics which might who might even be less qualified than Andrew Cuomo. We're going to get into it on this St. Andrew's Day edition of Sit and Friends in the Morning. Frank Morano here with Andrew Giuliani until 7, and then Curtis Lewa and John Katsimatidis here with Andrew until 10 a.m. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Straight ahead. Friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines, you can always tell when Lou is picking the music. The, the music is always just a step above where it is uh, whenever anybody else is sitting in that chair. 625, this is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 
Sid is not here today, nor tomorrow. He's getting some uh, well-deserved time off with this four-day weekend. Instead, you have a couple of friends of Sid, Andrew Giuliani and Frank Morano. I'll be here until 7. If you like any of what you hear, you can check me out um, weekday mornings from 1 a.m. until 5 a.m. And if you can't stay up that late, just check out the podcast at wabcradio.com. You can also hear the Not That Andrew podcast by Andrew Giuliani. How are you enjoying the podcast world, Andrew? I'm enjoying I'm really enjoying it. You know, I actually just had uh, a guest on, one of the members of the Assembly, Chris Tague, and we talked about this Rule 2-13 in New York, which just got overturned. So to be, imp- to be implemented, they are actually going to appeal this at this point. But basically, it would allow Governor Hochul and the Department of Health uh, wide, vast authority in isolating and quarantining any New Yorkers involuntarily. So I would certainly recommend you go on WABC Radio and hear more about it. It's fascinating, and obviously considering how much, you could say, executive branch overreach happened during the pandemic, and even after the pandemic, uh, I think it's something that all New Yorkers should really learn about. So when you say that got overturned, as of now, what authority does the governor have or the state in terms of detaining people? Yeah, basically it was a rule or regulation that was written in to the Department of Health Code, so it wasn't passed in the legislature. Originally, when she wrote it, uh, the first courts, which was in, uh, I think, in Broome County, basically overruled that it was really a, a violation of the separation of powers. Hmm. So it got overturned. That ruling then, though, did get overturned, saying that the members of the assembly did not have standing, which shocked me because they are citizens of New York that represent citizens of New right. York. If they don't have standing. Who exactly, does? Right. Exactly. Uh, so. I got to ask you about Henry Kissinger. He's passed away at a hundred. Obviously, Secretary of State during the Nixon and Ford administration, but someone that was a mainstay on the foreign policy scene for the better part of the last sixty years. I think met with every president uh, from Nixon all the way until Biden. I don't think he met with Biden while he was president, but uh, Biden certainly toasted him when he was a senator and was at the Trump White House when you were there. I remember, if I remember the timing correctly, it was right after Trump fired Comey. He brought Henry Kissinger in for um, a meeting in the Oval Office. Did you have much of an opportunity to interact with Kissinger yourself? I, I did. I, uh, I I talked to him actually right before he ended up going into the Oval Office with President Trump. So I was not in the Oval Office. I'm looking back at my photos to see when the date was. But I think you're right. It was May, May 10th, 2017. Mm. Um, so I had the opportunity to talk to him a little bit. Um, and look, obviously, an absolutely brilliant man with a complicated legacy. Um, but uh, But somebody who, as you said, advised presidents probably uh since uh really since nixon uh and including trump i know that they ended up diverging on uh on china and uh it's something that i think uh president trump i don't know if he's talked about publicly so i don't want to get too far ahead of that but as you can imagine you know what president trump thinks about china and our china policy and what he tried to do certainly with many of the sanctions that he put on china there in 2019 before uh the pandemic um, and certainly uh, a big part of uh, Kissinger's legacy is opening up China, which you can understand at the time, right? Let's not uh, look at this just in a vacuum. When you're dealing with the Cold War, you can understand what kind of an ally China could potentially be to Russia or an adversary that they could be to Russia. Now, you could say that it could have been a situation of instead of taking two Advils, maybe the U.S. took the whole bottle with regards to China. 
um, which that's kind of the way that I would like to look at it. I don't like to look at things in uh, 100% this way, 100% that way. I'm more of a Reagan 80% your friend is not 20% your enemy in looking at this, and, and I think that might have been the case. You know, it's funny. I've read uh, Pat Buchanan's book, The Greatest Comeback, uh, which, uh, or maybe it's Nixon's White House Wars, where it deals with his time in the Nixon White House, and he was very against what Nixon and Kissinger were doing in um, what he, Pat Buchanan perceived as stabbing Taiwan in the back and going and toasting Mao, all these communists. Yeah. But I really think through the prism of hindsight, what they did was the right move. I mean, when Nixon and Kissinger recognized China, this was a dirt poor agrarian country. And I don't think either of them could have foreseen that people like uh, George W. Bush and others, Democrat and Republican, would give them things like most favored nation trading status. Uh, President Clinton would sell them top secret defense technology, making them as dangerous an adversary as they are now. So I think it's unfair to blame Kissinger and Nixon for the China of 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just say to that, uh, certainly of his time in the White House, agreed. You could say then afterwards, though, I think one of the last public things he did was just a few short months ago, actually going to China and meeting with Xi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you could say that maybe in his uh, time as a post-secretary of state where he continued to advocate for opening up China with America, e- even though it's become more and more apparent uh, that they really seem to be an enemy of the state in so many ways. I know that uh, some people, this so radio think, station... You think were, he was still uh, too pro-China towards the so. end? I I do think so. And look, I think you're right. I think at the time, uh, I think it probably was the right move. Um, but uh, I think toward the end, I think he probably didn't realize or didn't want to recognize the actual threat that China has been to the United States of America and continues to be to the United States of America and kind of wants to sell it as being friendly uh, adversaries rather than uh, actually the enemies, which I believe they are. 34 degrees at uh, 630. Andrew Giuliani here with Frank Morano on Sid and Friends in the morning. Joe is in Bayside. Good morning, Joe. Come on, Frank. What's on your mind? Just a question for Andrew. Andrew, would you consider running for mayor? Listen, this mayor needs a Giuliani man to put things back together. You know it. Well, Joe, I appreciate. It. Thanks for asking. Uh, mentioning the Giuliani part because I wasn't sure if you were thinking of uh, Cuomo or uh, or Giuliani here. Well, first off. Curtis Lee was going to be in here in about a half hour, so I'm going to have to fight him over here in the studio in order just to the opportunity to run. Um, look, you know, I, I would I would just say this. Um, I hear this a lot. People ask me about about you running for mayor one day, and a lot, yeah, a lot of supporters out there. Yeah, and and I always look at it and say, hey, look, what is the path to victory? In this? Mm-hmm. When I ran, decided to run for governor in 2021, I saw a real path. For Republican, I thought things lined up. I thought uh, Congressman Zeldin ran a good campaign to, to get it close. But I saw really a path to victory that could have actually, I think, pushed the Republican over the top. Right now in New York City, at a time when you are, I think, it's seven close to eight to one Democrats to Republicans, I mean, you really are drawing to an inside straight of inside straights if you're a Republican running in New York City to win, especially somebody who, like myself, is very positive on the on President Trump really thinks the policies that he ended up enacting were, were very good for the country, has supported him again in 2024. 
you would need kind of the the perfect combination of the Republican who, you know, is distancing themselves from Trump. But Trump's Trump is kind of quietly behind the scenes uh, pushing his 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 group to him, which, by the way, you know, as you know, and I know the former president, he's not normally too quiet about stuff <laughs> like that. So it's it's very difficult to actually, I think, for a Republican uh, to win in 2025 doesn't mean that I'm not going to be supporting uh, Curtis or whoever the Republican candidate is and trying to make sure we get them as close and potentially not not over 50 percent. I do think that there are uh, an array of issues facing this city, which, uh, as I've said many, many times, I think we are on the precipice of an absolute disaster here in the city of New York. And I think you can look at the NYPD, the amount of retirements that are happening. Remember, the biggest class of the NYPD happened right after 2001, 2003, 4, 5, 6. Now we have classes that are so much smaller. The mayor at one point even talked about canceling five police academy classes. He walked that back. Mayor Adams, that is, walked that back. Um, so if we don't figure out the public safety here, in New York, on top of other issues, like the economic side of it. We talk about congestion pricing. We'll get more into that. Um, it's a complete disaster that's heading our way. How do you think Adams is doing, putting aside the uh, yeah. criminal scandal and things of that nature, uh, running the city, how do you think he's doing? I think the city's running him. I think he gives a good press conference. And I think a lot of people look and say, well, you know what? He's not as bad as de Blasio. And that's true. He's not as bad as de Blasio. So I'll give him credit there. A very, very low bar was set <laughs> by our previous mayor. Um, you know, I look back at his first year, and that's always an opportunity, obviously, for anybody who becomes goes from being the politician to actually running the office um, to really – show what your mayoralhood is going to be like. And he had maximum leverage. He had a governor that was running. Uh, he had a state assembly that was out there running. And he could have pushed for bail reform laws to really be uh, rolled back in a way that they weren't. Um, and he never utilized his leverage. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, look, you know, he's got a city council that's very different than it was 25 years ago because you have, you know, crazy leftists in there now. And, and they're the ones that are sucking up a lot of the oxygen. There's no doubt about that. But that doesn't give him the excuse from leading that battle and charging that fight every single day. And, and I think, sadly, look, we can look even at the migrant crisis. Uh, you can't erase the history of the fact that he was the one that was first calling Governor Abbott a racist and welcoming them into New York, saying, we are going to welcome you. Then he realized the disaster, which he should have seen coming, and now he's, hey, this is a real problem here. No, no dumb, Mayor. <laughs> Traffic's coming up in a moment, but right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. You can download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get the max out of mini. Today's minicast is from our colleague Greg Kelly in the Greg Kelly Show. Here, Greg talks about wind energy. Let me tell you something about wind energy. You know what a windmill looks like right now? And they're installing these damn things not far from here. A propeller the size of three Statue of Liberties. Huge, huge 50-story skyscraper. You put the propeller on top of that thing, and it spins. That's how big these damn things are. And you're going to be able to see some of them from the beach. They're doing it right now off the coast of Connecticut. These things explode. They burn up. And it's a, I don't get it. I don't get it. And there's all kinds of carbon footprint in creating this stuff, and I think it's a big scam.
This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers on the ice at the Garden. Jimmy Vesey scored the tie-breaking goal late in the third period to cap off a Rangers rally that beat the Detroit Red Wings 3-2. to Kendra Miller, he had a goal and an assist. Artemi Panarin also had Italian, and the uh, Alexis Lafreniere had two assists for New York, who scored twice in the third period to avoid losing consecutive games for the first time this season. Uh, Shosturkin finished with 26 saves, and the Rangers improved to 16-4-1 with the victory tops in the NHL and wins and points with 33. Tonight, the Islanders and Devils get set to return to the ice. The Devils will be in Philadelphia for a 7 p.m. puck drop against the Flyers, and the Isles will be spending the night skating with the Hurricanes in Carolina. That puck will drop at 7.30. And we'll go from the ice now to the Diamond, where significant local baseball news dropped last night. Right-hander Luis Severino and the New York Mets have agreed to a one-year $13 million contract. Sources did tell ESPN, sending the longtime Yankee across town to Queens as off-season activity begins to heat up around the MLB. Severino, 29, had spent all of his eight-year career with the Yankees, including a rough 2023 in which he posted a 6.65 ERA over 89 in a third innings. In his two fully healthy seasons, though, in pinstripes 2017 and 2018. Sevy was one of the best pitchers in baseball, finishing third in uh, and ninth in Cy Young award voting and throwing at least 190 innings in each of those years. On the hardwood, no local action to get to from last night, but both the Knicks and Nets will be back on the court tonight, both tipping off at 7.30. The Knicks will welcome in the Detroit Pistons while the Nets get set to host the Charlotte Hornets. And it is Thursday, which means a fresh week of NFL football gets underway tonight on Thursday Night Football. Week 13 kicks off in Dallas between the Cowboys and Seattle Seahawks. At 8.15, Dallas is currently sitting pretty as nine-and-a-half-point favorites heading in. That's sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. It is a chilly 34 degrees at uh, 645 on this Thursday morning, or as we like to call it, Friday Eve. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. I'm Frank Moreno here with uh, Andrew Giuliani. Uh, we were just uh, discussing the future political prospects of would-be mayors. There's an article in the uh, New York Post today in page 6, headline, Melissa DeRosa, Governor Andrew Cuomo's former top aide, considering her own political run. The New York Post article reads, and you don't know how much of this is clickbait and that she's encouraging just to sell her book. But the New York Post article reads with rumors swirling that Governor Cuomo could hatch a political comeback, possibly seeing New York City mayor. We hear his past number two has plans of her own to run. And then it mentions this interview she did with Marsha Kramer, where she left the door open. She's quoted in this page six article as saying, uh, never say never. What do you make of this, Andrew? Do you think she is honestly considering running or is this one of those things that they just concoct for, I don't know, clicks, basically? First off, before I answer, I've still got Chris Farley in a uh, thong in my mind from the Chippendales <laughs> SNL skit right there from hearing working for the weekend right there. But 
Um, I guess this is quite an interesting transition for a governor who resigned because of the allegations when, you know, I think there were so many other reasons. Uh, it was Like I said before, it was kind of Capone getting uh, put in the joint tax because evasion, of the tax right. evasion. Um, I guess the question, again, is where, right? Where would she go? Where, where ultimately? I think the point that you made, and it might have been on the other side of midnight, it might have not even been in the 6 o'clock hour last week with me, was I think she's one of the most overrated political minds in certainly my lifetime in New York State, I think she had a had a look. The governor basically, just like he had Hochul as lieutenant governor, because he knew that she was not somebody who was going to be threatening to his power. I think it's exactly why DeRosa was in that spot right there. And maybe considering, you know, what we know about the governor for some other reasons as well. Oh, so, uh, well, that's that's interesting. I, I never I never got that vibe no. from 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 them. I know it was reported that when the in the heyday of this stuff, I never got well, that vibe. But uh, well, let me, hold on. Let yeah. me ask you. You saw the Bill Maher. You and I talked about this right. during the break. You saw the Bill Maher interview they did about a month ago or mm-hmm. so when they were pumping her book. Wasn't that one of the most awkward interviews you've ever seen? I mean, Bill Maher has had, and to his credit, he's had everybody on his show. Even this season, he's had DeSantis on. He had Bannon on last season. He's had Kellyanne on a couple of different times. So people that politically he absolutely disagrees with, he has on. Much like WABC, you get the full spectrum of voices, at least from that opening segment. To have Melissa DeRosa, who was selling her book, sitting right there, almost it felt like on a couch next to Andrew Cuomo... Uh, this should have been about Melissa DeRosa. Meanwhile, Andrew Cuomo is the one who's answering all the questions, right. basically saying, here's my AIDS book. Uh, I know we want to talk about this. Let's sell some of these. But it, really, it's about me over here. It was, it was so bizarre. Uh, you know, I, I agree that, that the interview was bizarre. Uh, as uh, Just to reiterate what you were saying. I don't get the brilliance that everybody talks about with her. Every media interview that she's done promoting her book and even prior to this, you can write the script. I mean, she's just going to bash all of the enemies of Andrew Cuomo, whether it's uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kathy Hochul, Letitia James, Joe Biden, and just bash everybody that's not named Cuomo. <laughs> it's the most predictable thing in the world. And, you know, she reminds me, and I'm sure you saw this a bit with, uh, you know, people that came on board at the tail end of your father's administration, mm-hmm. but it happens with certainly the third term Pataki crowd. You have these people that did nothing to get um, George Pataki, Andrew Cuomo, Rudy Giuliani elected. And yet they come aboard after all the hard work of winning the election is done. And then they create a new career for themselves as the person that uh, was George Pataki, Rudy Giuliani, Andrew Cuomo's number one person. Melissa DeRosa came on board long after uh, Andrew Cuomo had been elected. So it was not as if she was integral to putting together the coalition or the politics necessary for him to get elected. I, I just I don't get I, even within the Cuomo administration, I think she deserves very little credit for his political ascent. Yeah, she's no Kissinger. We'll put it that way. Right? <laughs> Good, bad, indifferent. Uh, no Kissinger at all. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Extremely overrated. And my question is, where? Where Where does she, where does Andrew Cuomo, I know this was uh, Cuomo talked about running for mayor, and you and I were opining about potentially running for Congress as a step back into political relevance, if you will, but 
what seat? And and I guess there's right. a whole now question of redistricting. Are those maps going to look like they did originally, where you're going to have New York District 3 taking up five counties, basically going around, around the Long Island Sound, up to the borders of Connecticut, out to Suffolk County. So who knows? Maybe in some of these districts she could run potentially against one of the Republicans there that's going to be vulnerable because of the ger- Democratic gerrymander. Um, but I guess the question is just, where? Yeah. And why? Now, yeah, exactly. I think those are those are fair questions that anybody should answer when they make the decision to run for office. 800-848-9222. By the way, I, I want to just give a quick little shout out to a good friend of ours who's listening down in Florida. Oh my. His name is Sean, and he is crazy enough that he actually, he let me know in the break, that he's in a cold plunge at 39 degrees. So all of you in New York right now that are freezing your you-know-what's-off, who choose... To want to be warm, this is a man who's in Florida who's 80 degrees, and he wants to be in a 39-degree thing. So that's how crazy he is You were explaining to me what a cold plunge was during the commercial. This sounds like the worst thing in the world. You're voluntarily submerging yourself in in Arctic temperatures? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Dana White swears by this stuff, and he says that it's great for anti-aging. And if you think about it, Athletes, whenever they get off the field, let's say a football player, what do they do? They go into an ice bath for muscle recovery. So I think there actually is some science behind it. I haven't done a deep enough dive into the science on this, but uh, just, you know, that's that's what's going on. My goodness. 800-848-9222. Jeff's in Manhattan. Hi, Jeff. Hey, I, I want to... Um Touch on what um, about the Santos? Why I disagree with you guys? But as long as you were talking about mayor, if I can make a quick co- comment, Andrew, your your father was a great mayor, the best by far in my lifetime. Oh, thank you. And and I got a really quick story that might be good about when I met your father, if I could t- if I could say it. Go ahead. Um, okay, so I I'm a Democrat, liberal Democrat, um, and I, but I love your father. So I got into when he was running for election, a fundraiser, and you know, I was just a young kid, and there was all these like big shots there. So I wanted to say something uh, memorable. So I was shaking his hand as he was walking by with people. And so I said, there's one thing I don't like about you. And he was already three people past me. And he turned around and he goes, what's that? And I go, that you weren't mayor in 1957. Because if you were, you would have kept the Dodgers and Giants there. He turned 180 degrees on his heels. And he goes, that's right. I would not have let them go. Yeah, William, William O'Malley would have been the target of the Giuliani administration, I could tell you oh, that. Man, Walter I, O'Malley. I, I, Walter I mean O'Malley, yes. Walter thank O'Malley. Thank hey, uh, Jeff, job. I'm sorry to cut you off prematurely. you got to call back maybe even later in the show. Uh, we have one more break to take. We're going to uh, continue Andrew Giuliani and Frank Morano on Sid and Friends straight ahead. Sit in friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. 
couple of minutes until 7 o'clock. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Frank Morano here with Andrew Giuliani. Uh, Andrew, we were talking a little bit about the uh, festivities at the tree lighting yesterday. We're wa- My wife and I are watching a little bit of this yesterday, these performers and these people out there in the cold. Would you ever, have you ever, let's start with that, gone to the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center? I have. I remember going... Maybe it was the first year of my father's administration, 94. I did it a couple times, ninety, maybe 94, 95, 96 or something like that. Um, I haven't gone recently. Um, you know, I took Grace, and I know Carmine celebrated the birthday a few days yeah, before Grace. Birthday her her Grace birthday was well. yesterday. Happy birthday to my little angel. Just turned two yesterday. Um, but I took Grace to the balloon inflation on Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, uh, before the Thanksgiving Day Parade, so we didn't have to deal with any uh, pro-terrorist protesters gluing their hands on 6th Avenue. Um, and I always thought that was one of the great New York things that maybe uh, doesn't, not as many New Yorkers or many Americans know about. They all know about the parade. They don't know about that. Um, you know, with NBC the last bunch of years with how, you know, crazy leftist they've gotten, it's turned me off a little bit from the tree lighting. I frankly didn't watch it. I haven't watched it in a while. Um, it's one of those things that uh, I, at some point, like to have uh, Grace go to. But now I'm kind of more just like, hey, look, let's go from St. Patrick's. Let's walk down Fifth Avenue, stop at the tree. Uh, see it, and I think we'll probably do that over the weekend at some point. Yeah, time. I mean, we were wondering if it's one of those things like the uh, Times Square New Year's Eve situation where it's mostly out-of-towners that do it because I, it doesn't look that appealing to – I mean, you were there as the son of a mayor. It's uh-huh. a little bit different. But to go there as just a regular person, sit there in the cold and kind of be fenced in – I don't know. It, it seems like one of those things that's better enjoyed on television. Yeah, I think that's right. I think most people, they look, they see it. They're like, oh, my God, the wonder, New York City, I'm going to save all year for this. And then all of a sudden you get a pro-terrorist protester who's yelling in your uh, in your ear right there. It's almost like what I'm going to experience here the next three hours, not with John Katsimatidis, of course. Let me be clear about that. With Curtis Lewa sitting in your seat. Oh, my goodness. Curtis Lewa is uh, on deck. I am sure he is going to have a unique perspective on being in Rockefeller Center (laughs) adjacent to those protesters yesterday. I am going to stay awake for the ride home and then go straight to sleep. Uh, What do you say we do this again tomorrow? I love it. This is always a blast being with you here, Frank. It's it's a great time. Drive back home safe. Stay tuned for Sid and Friends in the Morning with Andrew Giuliani, Curtis Lewa, and the one and only John Katzmatidis. Here's James Flippin with the news. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Officially Christmas time. With the lighting of the tree, it's officially Christmas time. This is the Sid Rosenberg backup crew. Pat, <laughs> Curtis, and Andrew Giuliani. Well, guys, 
make sure nobody hangs up. We have to have better ratings and sit. <laughs> hey, you know what? With you guys at the helm over here, I, I like the coattails that I'm well, we riding on today. I got to tell stories. you, we got to come up with some, a great show. I mean, there's so much news. Oh, that, busy. Uh, I mean, it, it is crazy. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we we have so many 100 year old icons dying. Uh, Charlie Munger was five weeks. Uh, that's uh, Warren Buffett's assistant. Five weeks short of his nine of his one hundredth birthday. Yeah, I mean it's so sad. It's so sad. And now Henry Kissinger. And Henry Kissinger last night, and uh, I was supposed to have uh, one more interview with him. Really? And I guess uh, yeah, probably I didn't get it done. It. Yeah, it probably wasn't you know, up to it, right? You want to know something? He said he was going to do it, and I didn't push it. Mm-hmm. So it's my fault, and I feel bad about that. When when was it supposed to be? What was the was this a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, about, about a month or two ago? Maybe at the time he was just uh, you know he wasn't ready for it. I maybe was at the Al physically? Smith dinner, yeah, uh, along uh, um, uh, with a few other people, a few thousand people, I guess. And uh, he was there. He was on the stage, yeah. And he's one uh, hundred, uh, I think, at least a hundred and a half. Uh, the Cardinal was there, and and they had John Rosenwald, <laughs> 93 and a half, who works for J.P. Morgan. Right. Uh, introduce him, just about introduce him. Wow. And um, I tell you, his speech was starting to go very, very slow. Yeah. Um, the, the, the part that came up, the part that came up, see, this is stories you're never going to get anyplace else. Mm-hmm. The part that came up, uh, was the fact he just got back from Beijing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and he was meeting uh, with uh, uh, President Xi. Yeah. And it just happens to be the same week that uh, Putin was there. So I, w- I was wondering, I was scratching my head, mm-hmm. um, you know, Putin, Xi, Kissinger. Um, and I think he uh, officially or unofficially works, uh, Kissinger works for J.P. Morgan. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Now, for a 100-year-old guy to take a plane ride to Beijing, uh, to go there, meet for two days, three days, and come back, I didn't feel good about that. Yeah. And um, who knows what they talked about. Yeah. Uh, But he was still, at the age of 100, he was still very well respected. John, you know, it's fascinating. I, I was, I thought it was so interesting that one of his last and really symbolic that one of his last public appearances was this meeting with Xi that you talked about. Uh, you know, for me, I, I can tell you one of the most surreal moments that I had in the Trump White House was sitting down and having about a seven or eight minute conversation with Kissinger right before he ended up walking in the Oval Office with President Trump in May of 2017, that I believe it was. And the thing that struck me was even at 94, 95 at the time, just how sharp he was on all global global politics. Whether you agreed with him, disagreed with him, he was extremely informed, and he had an amazing way. You could see how much of a, if you will call it, a nurse's touch that he had where he could influence even strong men and women to be able to change and, and develop their opinions. Well, the biggest problem with um, Henry Kissinger as both National Security Advisor and Secretary of State for Nixon and for Gerald Ford was, half the time I couldn't even understand what, what the hell he was saying. Here's a guy who left Germany at 15, along with his family, 
to avoid the Holocaust. And, and never lost his accent. Right. <laughs> Left Bavaria. It was a soccer star as a youth, a soccer star. Who would have thought Henry Kissinger was a youth soccer star? And then the Nazi mobs, the Hitler youth gangs, would come to the soccer games and attack all the Jews playing in Bavaria. So his parents said, we got to get out of here. This is, this is ominous. Yeah. He comes to America. He settles up in Washington Heights. On one side, the west side, the Jews are. In the middle, John Katsimatidis, Greeks. On the uh, east are the Irish, near Highbridge. And he goes to George Washington High School. He's, he's 15. Yeah. You would have thought he would have started to develop a little bit of a New York accent. That's just a local <laughs> high school. That wasn't a specialty school. Then he went on to Harvard University. And probably the most interesting thing, this shows you how politics makes for strange bedfellows. In 1968, the resurrection of Richard Nixon. He's come back from the grave. Nelson Rockefeller is trying to buy the Republican uh, primary, the world's richest guy. And there's a whole bunch of candidates. Kissinger is the advisor to uh, the attempt uh, by uh, Rockefeller to win the Republican primary. And he goes on record and says, if we were to nominate Richard Nixon, he's the most dangerous of all the men running for president. Meanwhile. Now. Who does that remind me of? You had mentioned her name, Kellyanne Conway, knocking on the doors at every hotel in Cleveland when Donald Trump was going to be nominated, saying, you must not elect Donald Trump. Ted Cruz is the guy. Trump will be the most dangerous guy in the Republican no, Party. A, that's a little late. That was in 2015 this she was shows, in there, not 2016. I know, but this shows you <laughs> that politics makes for strange bedfellows because Nixon gets elected in 68. And who does he make his national security advisor? Yeah. Henry Kissinger. Well, they were saying that he was actually leaking information to the Nixon campaign while advising uh, I think it was, like you said, Rockefeller at the time, right? So it's uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Well, you know, we'll we'll never know. It's too far back. Yeah. It goes back to who killed Kennedy, you know? <laughs> but remember when he took, imagine, nowadays it can never happen, two secret trips in 1971 to meet his nemesis, the Chinese premier, Zhou Enlai. Nobody knew that he was in Beijing. Imagine, one of the most powerful men in the country at that time, the aide-de-camp to Richard Nixon. He's in Beijing twice. Now, can you imagine nowadays with all the media, with all the bloggers, with everybody taking note-taking cell phones and then blasting it out? It could be an individual. Nobody knew that he was negotiating on behalf of Richard Nixon for his historic visit in 1972 where he was welcomed by Zhou Enlai and then he had that sit-down with Mao Zedong to break what had been the Cold War with Red China and to try to get them on our side against the Soviet Union. We'll go back to Kissinger. I want to know what happened in the streets of New York yesterday, Curtis. I mean, this is the 705 hour. You're you're usually blabbing away with Sydney. (laughs) I mean, what's the blab today? What happened in the streets of New York? Well, uh, let's face it. uh, You you led with Kissinger. We had to continue. It is so bad what is happening in our city. The cops, they attack the cops. This mob. This group that had said earlier in the week, this was not a flash mob. They didn't come out of the subways in just a few hours. Earlier in the week, we are going to disrupt the tree lighting in Rockefeller Center. They didn't get near it. John, they were two blocks away. Well, two blocks away could be two miles away. They didn't go through. They did not go through the police barricade, okay? 
The facts are the facts. The facts are that it disrupted the tree lighting. It disrupted everybody else trying to get around, for sure. And how many arrests? It it did not. I was watching, and by the way, NBC uh, did a phenomenal job on the tree lighting. The show they put on was phenomenal. Uh, Let me ask you a question, uh, though. Let me ask you a question. How many cops ended up arresting demonstrators last night while cops were being attacked Fights. There's all kinds of videos out on that, John. I, I haven't seen them. Andrew, uh, and who's in? Chad. Chad Lopez. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, they did a great job of clearing out before the NBC broadcast started. I know that they got pretty close before the NBC broadcast at one point, and so you got to give credit to the cops. For I was invited there, last right? night yeah. to go into the uh, uh, Rockefeller Center building uh, my good friends have offices overlooking the tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we RSVP'd uh, uh, a month ago and said, of course we want to see the tree. I love the tree. I love uh, Christmas. And um, what, what developed, I, I didn't want to put my family uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, mess. Yeah. So it did discourage people like me. Of course. And look, look at all the notches these demonstrators have on their belt. They interfered with the Thanksgiving Day Parade. They went up on the Fifth Avenue Library and desecrated it. I mean, in front of the cops. The cops were told, leave them alone. They took oh, the it. same thing they did to say Cardinals. Uh, yes, St. Patrick during uh, Black Lives go, Matter. Yeah. Right. Not to mention Grand Central Station, the Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge this last Right. Week. So go all on. of a sudden, they say, we're going to come in a Rockefeller Center. You would have thought the cops would have had the barriers up four blocks, five blocks away. No, two blocks away. And then they start clashing with the cops. I want to know, by the time I come back for the rip and read, how many of these demonstrators were arrested? We have video evidence of cops getting pushed, knocked down, punched, spat on, shoved. How many arrests? Yeah, I would have I've had a Rocky Calavito bat with I've me. heard seven is the number. I think I heard it from James Flippin, as a matter of fact, on the 5 o'clock hour. But uh, I wonder if that number is going to increase. And considering it's in Manhattan, are there going to be prosecutions, right? We know who the district attorney is in Manhattan. We know this is a guy that does not like to prosecute crime. Crazy no, enough. No, John, next week. That's what Alvin Bragg is. You have your annual event, the lighting of the menorah, the world's largest menorah. Yes, it's going to go up. Uh, right opposite the Plaza Hotel. You're, you're there every year with the rabbi. What happens if they target that? They, they Remember, they have no morals. They have no values. They hate Jews. They hate Americans. What happens if they target that? Curtis, I've thought about this time and time again, that being top of mind, particularly the we world's like biggest menorah. Uh, right Andrew. <laughs> Hey, I'm just a substitute on the morning show. I didn't know that I was coming in there. You're not a substitute on on menorah lighting? (laughs) You know, look, I was there last year. I will come again this year. I've done it every year for 25 years. I do expect a lot of these public pro, these Hanukkah celebrations to be infiltrated by these pro-terrorist protests. Let me give you a plus plus, and we're going to talk more about woke culture later. Yeah. I'm going to give you a plus plus. I didn't go to Rockefeller Center. I went home. We ate some leftovers, mm-hmm. and and we watched uh, the tree lighting on NBC. It was on Channel Four. And you want to know what I was proud of? Previous years, they would not mention the word Christmas. Last night, uh, 
Christmas, the word Christmas was prevalent, 90%. And uh, I, I was proud about that. They must have polled and actually thought, yeah. Americans like Christmas. Can you believe that? Hey, hey. <laughs> right? We're going to talk more about it later on. Yeah, the yeah. woke culture is suffering. And we're going to make them suffer even more well, because they're trying to change America. Amen. And we're not going to allow America to be changed. America belongs to America, to, to us, the citizens of America. Amen. Not, not, not to uh, the migrants that are going over. Well, John, there will be a litmus test tonight. I'll be in your old stomping grounds, Astoria, which used to be mostly Greek. No more. You are going to Castoria. <laughs> right, for the annual Christmas parade they have for the children. Now, as you know, that's where all the socialists are. They had a parade through there on Steinway Street, which is Little Egypt now. 5,000 in the beginning of these demonstrations. What's the over-under point spread that they try to interfere with the annual Christmas parade for the children? Think of that. But I'll be there. I ain't going to let them. I ain't going to let them stop that parade for all those children and grandchildren, especially of all the uh, older Italians and Greeks who still live there. Those who believe in the tradition of Christmas. I'll be there. It's at 6 o'clock tonight. And it starts right there at Athens Plaza. And that's the heart of where the socialists are. 30th Street and 30th Avenue. How dare they? Let's see what the response of the city will be. Because so far, you know, there are Christmas parades all throughout the five boroughs. Leading up to the holiday. The Hanukkah lightings. All that. Are we going to allow these pro-terrorist, pro-Hamas groups to shut us down? somebody's got to stand up to them. This reminds me of the summer of 2020 when Bill de Blasio gave the orders. Remember, you mentioned mentioned, uh, uh, Melissa DeRosa. In her book, it states now factually what I was saying in the summer of 2020. He gave the orders to the NYPD to stand down. Stand down, do nothing. And then Black Lives Matter and Antifa just had their way. Did rioting and looting for two days, June 1st, June 2nd. and then all of a sudden, you know, remember, the deputy in, uh, chief took a knee in Washington Square Park. And that was it. It was all over after that. All over. Yeah. All right. I guess uh, we got to take a break. we got to pay some bills. Got to pay some bills. <laughs> I hope we got some good commercials. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Okay, uh, John, where's the snow? Where's the snow, you know, for many years, supermarkets, the business where clearly you made your bones. People would hear there's a heavy snow coming, and we'd walk into a Gristides. I would call all the weathermen and say, predict at least 28 inches. Right. Because <laughs> everybody's stocking up, right? Oh, Everybody was stocking, stocking up. up. I'll tell you, we haven't had a good snow in years. Two years. Two years we have not had at any day at least an yeah, inch or more. Yeah, but it's cold outside. Is this global coldness? 
<laughs> John, John, it's, we we need to help your brothers and sisters in solidarity in the retail food business. Remember, people would go in first thing they'd clear out. Are you explain kidding? this. They're all waiting to file bankruptcy. Right, but toilet paper. Why was there always a shortage of? People were like panic. Is twenty eight inches uh, going to be twenty eight inches of scone? First thing they grab is the toilet paper. Same thing with COVID, right? It was the toilet paper that went. First. Why, John? What was it? Well, you know the story. Well. Jokingly, one day it was a Johnny Carson goes on night show, yeah. and he jokingly says, "There's going to be a shortage of toilet paper." <laughs> and guess what? Is a run on the toilet paper? <laughs> uh, it, it's the same thing as a shortage in gas. If if you have a hundred million cars in the city or in the, in the country, a hundred million cars in the country, and there's an average of thirty percent. Uh, empty or 30% full or whatever. You know, right? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, he hears possible shortage. And it goes from 30% empty. He says, I better keep my, my gas tank full. Yeah. It goes from an average of 30 to 60 on a hundred million cars. Wow. Guess what happens? <laughs> There's a shortage. Yep. <laughs> they wipe out every gas station. They wipe out the refineries because everybody does it normal way. The same thing. But it's a supermarket business. If if we order twenty cases of of toilet paper per per uh, store uh, a week, and all of a sudden everybody gloms, you know, they go from an average of of, of uh, five or six extra toilet uh, uh, paper on the uh, on the shelf at home to an average of ten or fifteen. You really? know what happens? You wipe out every supermarket. You wipe out every warehouse. And it creates a shortage. That's fascinating. So what are we going to do this morning? What are we going to create a shortage of? Oh, See, I just use the New York Times if I don't have any toilet paper at all. John, you were so right about the gas shortage. Remember, after the Yom Kippur War, the Kissinger and Nixon were in to rescue Israel that was caught asleep. Uh, OPEC, led by the Shah, our friend of Iran at the time, turned off the spigots. And we were on the gas rationing. I know I was pumping gas at the time at Seaview Avenue and Rockaway Parkway at uh, Rocky Shell Station, where it was based on the alphabet, you know, like A to I think it was M and then M to Z. And you had to you were gas rationing. And people were online for blocks and blocks. And they were trying to bribe me. Hey, get me, throw a few more gallons in my tank. The power of telling people you're going to run out of gas and they would burn more gas staying online than the actual gas you could give them based on the fact that everybody. True stories. Yeah. You, you weren't born yet, Andrew. Right. No, I've only read about this. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. No, no. It's like that was the retaliation for us supporting Israel at that time. Mm-hmm. The oil embargo in all the uh, all the Arab countries led by the Shah, who's not Arab. Remember, that's Persian. That's Iran. Decide, okay, we're going to fix you. And they cut off the supply of oil. Uh, for Nixon uh, and Kissinger sending more supplies into Israel, I mean cargo uh, uh, container plane after cargo container plane, because Israel yeah. was on the verge of being defeated at that we time by some, Egypt and Syria. We had some adventures. I will tell you about adventures later on in the Bronx during the uh, blackouts. But I think we got to take a break right now. And when we come back from the break, we also have Judge Napolitano. So think of some good questions for the judge. Okay. Well, you be a real good 
is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and we've got a lot of more war stories to tell over the next two hours. And uh, uh, right now, is Judge Napolitano on? Judge Napolitano is on, one of the uh, great judges in our uh, uh, country. And, Judge, welcome to uh, the the Katz uh, uh, and uh, Curtis and Andrew show. Good morning, my dear friends. It's a pleasure to be on with all three of you. Thank you for having me. It takes three of us to do the job of Sid, which is one. <laughs> Just ask him. He'll tell you that. No, he tells us that every day. <laughs> well, t- tell us what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning now. What, 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 what's up in the country in the world? Well, I was not very happy at my friends uh, at Americans for Prosperity, you know, um, Charles Koch uh, endorsing Nikki Haley. That that did not go well. And they me. said they're going to put up $70 million? Well, John, you're going to have to match that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the three of us will, just like we're filling in yeah, for the morning yeah. show right here. Let me ask you, though, Judge, do you think that's more of a kiss of death for the Haley campaign from the public than the money actually will do her good for her campaign? $70 million is a lot of money. Well, Jeb Bush, who's a good friend, went through $100 million real fast. Exactly. What and DeSantis went through uh, $100 million real fast. Yeah. What- Honestly, I was surprised at the 70, uh, knowing their wealth, I did a lot of public speaking for them, so I know them. Uh, uh, knowing their wealth, it should be many times that. And and your question is a great one, Andrew. I'm not sure that this will actually help her with the voters. It will only help her, you know, with her, her cash flow. Uh, but what she's trying to do is to develop momentum so that it looks like it will be she against uh, Trump. And she may very well succeed in doing that. I don't think she can possibly take the nomination from him unless some event happens that we don't foresee. Uh, but but she looks like she's the one around whom they're going to coalesce. Now, Chris Christie is a boyhood friend of mine. I don't agree with him on a lot of politics, but I'm loyal to my friends. I like Chris. We communicate with each other all the time. He can't seem to get any traction. And Ron DeSantis, whom I know and like, every time he talks, he loses votes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I think uh, my, my, my comments have been that uh, she would, Nikki Haley would be a good number two person. Uh, she she's a, she's a woman. Person. Huh? She'd be a superb number two person. Yes, not a number uh, one person. No. Yes. And I think uh, t- uh, Tim Scott, I don't know why he uh, bugged out. I think he would have made a great number two person. I don't know why. I think he dropped out because he didn't have any money, John. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you've you got to pay these bills up front because politicians are notorious for disappearing after they lose. Not saying he would do that, but that's the way the, the vendors uh, treat. Uh, the well, they got so many consultants that all they do is glom, glom, glom. You know that word from Brooklyn? Yes, I know that word from Jersey. Glom. Okay, so you glom, mean glom, glom. No, let me, let me. The, the consultants. How many consultants did you pay uh, when you were running for mayor, uh, Curtis? Oh, well, you mean how sh- much did you pay your sister for public relations, Curtis? Shysters, you mean? How many? Shysters. How many? Uh, how, many uh, how much money did you pay your sister? And she's good at public relations, but you try to make Curtis look likable. I mean, come on, it's it's impossible. She's not a, she's not a saint over here, you she's know. She's not a saint. Come on. 
He paid her to do the impossible, and she did it. She paid off a 30-year mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) Judge, I got a question for you. You mentioned DeSantis before, and tonight is the uh, DeSantis-Newsom debate. And one of the things that you mentioned about DeSantis is every time that he talks, he seems to, you know, lose popularity and people just he doesn't seem to strike the uh, the popular chord with people. You know, when you think about the facts tonight of Florida versus California, just how Florida, let's just take covid, for example, was able to treat a, uh, all the people coming in versus all the people leaving California. It should seem like the fact should be on DeSantis's side tonight. But do you expect him to potentially blow this, considering Newsom is a very smooth operator, as terrible a job as he's done in the state of why would uh, anybody, California? First of all, why would anybody watch that debate? I think people are going to be interested in it, John. Really? I think people I are. I think it's going to be fascinating. I, Maybe I, a I guess about 12 uh, For 2028? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. Just because also we don't know if Biden's going to get to the starting line over here. So is Newsom the guy? No, I, I will know. give you the secret what's going to happen with Biden uh, if you uh, remind me later. Okay. I want to know All the right, secret. But judge. secret now. But, Andrew, to your question, I agree with you on both counts. In that debate tonight, I can't imagine that I would agree with anything that Newsom would say, and I would agree with much, not all, but much of what DeSantis would say. But their manner of saying it, Newsom's going to be much more likable and knows how to connect with people far better than Ron. uh, If Newsom wins, does Kimberly go back to him? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not touching that one. (laughs) All right, but but judge, but judge. Uh, on a on a the number one issue, free speech, Elon Musk uh, is under fire. He believes in free speech. There's no doubt about it. One of the reasons that he spent a fortune to take over Twitter. Then all of a sudden he's under attack because he had decided to retweet something that others said was anti-Semitic. He traveled to Israel. What did he say? I mean, look. look, look I keep hearing about uh, he told them to go F themselves. You but mean his advertisers, his sponsors. But what did he actually say? Let the people know. Right. But the point being is, where does free speech end, Judge? If you're running a forum, and that's what Twitter is, where everybody is contributing their point of view, where does it begin? Where does it end? Because right now, uh, he's under fire by many, many folks who are claiming that he retweeted an anti-Semitic statement. People retweet all the time. So yeah. where is the line? Because I thought America is free speech. I, th- I thought that's well, what makes what America so says. good. Let's see what the judge says. Go ahead, Judge. It was, it was an anti-Semitic uh, wisecrack that somebody made. And um, uh, Elon Musk tweeted, you are correct. You have it correct. Uh, and what did it actually say? I, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, you're going to have to look it up. It's, it's no, see, nobody knows. <laughs> the guy, the guy's in deep crap, uh, and they put him into deeper crap, uh, Disney, and nobody knows what he actually said. Well, John's right. Nobody knows exactly what the hell he said. But getting back to, to Curtis's comment, the First Amendment only restrains the government. It only keeps the government out of the business of speech. It does not keep private entities out of the business of speech. So if somebody doesn't like uh, what Elon Musk says and they're an advertiser, they don't have to advertise. That's the way they express their disenchantment with him. 
they want to punish him for his speech, they can do so. They're an advertiser. They're not the government. It's only when the government punishes or coerces or influences speech. So if the Department of Homeland Security goes to Twitter and says, make Trump look bad and make Biden look good, and we'll overlook this violation and that violation, that is the government interfering with speech. If Congress takes a class of, uh, of speech and makes it unlawful, that is the government uh, interfering with speech. If the police ripped down posters that they disagreed with, that is the government interfering with speech. But when private people do those things, there is no restraint on it. So even though I admire Elon Musk, though I don't agree with him on everything, if Dell Computers doesn't like what, it said, what he said, then they don't advertise on his, uh, on his venue. That's their privilege. Speaking of Elon Musk, do you think his lawsuits against Media Matters hold merit? You think this is something that he's going to actually uh, win or, or you know, cr- because in looking at what potentially Media Matters did, it seemed like they weren't just taking a run-of-the-mill Twitter uh, page and this just kind of happened. They seemed to try to create this result through thousands and hundreds of thousands of search results, basically, in order to show advertisers uh, their uh, anti-Semitic posts, if you will, uh, with their the Apple uh, and, and this and that. What are your thoughts? Well, sometimes uh, you you file a litigation not because you expect to win, but you expect to learn things in discovery mm-hmm. about your adversary. So I think Elon Musk, who's been tormented by uh, Media Matters for a while, wants to expose their internal operating systems, so to speak, and that will all come out during discovery. We're, we've all been sued. We're all familiar with uh, with discovery. It's, right. it's where. Prior to trial, you learn about your adversary's case under oath, and you get your adversary's documents. That's what I think his goal is here. Ultimately, I don't think the case uh, has that much merit. All right, Judge Napolitano and college campuses across America, we hear uh, the seesaw chorus from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Israel, you're guilty of genocide, that kind of rhyme, and it goes on and on. Some have said... That's an anti-Semitic remark. It needs to be. It needs to be prevented from being said. Others have said it's all part of free speech. How do you look at that? It's all part of free speech. It's hate speech, but it is protected. And the reason we want to protect hate speech is, Curtis, we want to know who the haters are and what they say. Because if we suppress hate speech, it'll still come out. But we won't know who they are and what they're saying. The remedy for hate speech is not to suppress it. It's to challenge it with more speech and expose the haters uh, for their hatred. That is at least the theory of the First Amendment opinions that have protected hate speech. As hateful as it is, it's protected speech. We got we got Um, got, we got two minutes before break. And I want to get in that other thing. I need your opinion on it. But go ahead. Keep going. All right, so on on that, uh, the retaliation for many of those uh, professors and others who led those rallies and students is they've been doxxed, and others have said, we'll never hire you again. I'm thinking back to the Vietnam War era. If that were true, how many people who are in elective office now or in corporate America who are CEOs could never have made their bones for what they did back in their young adult years? You're right. 
You're right. And college campuses of all places, though uh, overwhelmingly private property, are regulated by the First Amendment because with the exception of 12, 12 of the 400 colleges in the United States, they all accept federal funds. And when you accept federal funds, you, you agree to abide the federal civil rights laws. And the federal civil rights laws say you can't punish people Judge. on your campus for their speech. Judge, last question before we have to take a mandatory break at 7.53. And, and I was told uh, about, uh, high up on the Democratic Party, they're going to make sure Joe Biden uh, gets his, the, the nomination. And uh, don't forget, uh, the price of oil is coming down, gasoline is coming down, interest rates are coming down. Bidenomics works! <laughs> <laughs> Everybody laughs, I know. But I was told they're going to make sure he gets the nomination. And then after he gets the nomination and is certified, he is going to bug out. And then at that point, the Democratic Congress, the Democratic governors, governors and the DNC have the right to substitute the, the, nom- the nominee, who, whoever they vote for, not with no primary. I want you to think about that, and if you can, if, can you wait while we take a break? Sure. I, Let's I, have take some, that. I have some thoughts about it, sure. Let's take that break, and we're going to come back. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Where'd you get this music from? Well, way back. My God, reject the music. Hit the reject button. Uh, and uh, with us still is Judge Lapanatano, and uh, uh, that was an interesting scenario I gave you. What do you think? I have heard the same scenario, John. Um, but this is going to cause the three of you to lose your lose your breakfast. Uh-oh. Because the person that they all are talking about way below the surface, you won't hear this in public, that Joe will anoint as uh, as the nominee is Hillary. No. Do you believe that? That's what I'm hearing from my Democratic friends. I think it would be crazy. Uh, I think Trump would wipe the streets with her. I honestly think that this stunt. We, round round two. Have accepted by the voters. Trump versus Hillary, round two. Yes, but if if Joe Biden pulls a stunt like that, waits until after the nomination uh, to go back to Rehoboth uh, Beach, the public will see right through it. If, on the other hand, he goes on national television tonight and says, you know what, there's so much going on. I got to deal with Ukraine. I got to deal with the economy. I got to deal with uh, Israel uh, and Gaza. I don't have the time to run for reelection. I'm a full time president. I'm going to solve these problems. Uh, and let the Democrats pick a successor to me, that will be acceptable to the public. But a stunt like the one they're thinking about, which I have heard and you have heard. I've heard it. I'll accept it. The, the, wow. the, the name I heard was Newsom. Yeah, and, and by the way, a woman of color, right, uh, Harris? They're going to make a justice in the Supreme oh, Court. Oh, no. It, 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 wait a second. The Democratic That's Party the is based on diversity. They're going to put up this white guy, this white wasp guy from California, and knock off a black woman. That will never happen in a party that prides itself on diversity. Yeah, but, no, no. We said Correct. after the nomination is made 
And it, it, it's oh, no and longer. what does she do? What yeah. does she do? Well, she just that, sits quiet. That, well, she's only, got, she has what, to be renominated. She it, ha- the only record, John, the only record of political failure in this country more difficult to defend than Joe Biden is Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Because if you think the country is bad, California is worse. 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 Republicans will have and a look, field day. But he's DeSantis, hands- I have my differences with him, but he does a very decent job in Florida. But he's handsome. He's smooth. He's like Andrew, this is not the Republican Party where no, everybody's white. But this is the Democratic Curtis, Party of diversity. Curtis, it's a black woman on the cusp which, of becoming president. Which leads me to my point. The only way that this theory works is if the replacee, the Lou Gehrig in this situation, is Michelle. Michelle Obama. That's the way this, I don't think this theory only works. Andrew, Andrew, that is another uh, conversation that is being had uh, amongst the Democrats. Hillary uh, and Michelle, not not on the same ticket. But Hillary, one. Michelle, or Newsom. Yeah, now, Andrew, I want to go back to a question you asked earlier. Yeah. I'll tell you a trick that Roger Ailes taught me. So I would be in Roger's office, and he'd have a wall uh, that had about 30 television screens on yeah. and no volume. I said, what the hell are you doing? He said, well, I can tell who's resonating there without listening to them. So play this trick on yourself tonight. Watch that debate for five minutes Mm -hmm. with the sound off, and you tell me who's more likable. And I'll bet you at dinner at any restaurant you want, you're going to say to me, Judge, it was Newsom. Yes, absolutely. It's brilliant. More sex appeal. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Judge Napolitano. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we got to take a... a hard, a hard break. And John, would you remind, would you remind Sid that we can do a pretty damn good job without him? Absolutely, but it takes three of us. Thank you. <laughs> let's take that break and let's go to the news. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out. Of now that music, I like Curtis. Absolutely. Reminds me last night I was out in the Ponton in the Rockaways. It was cold. It was, but this uh, attorney, Joe Muir, opens up his house and his block for children who have all kinds of medical issues. And last night he opened up his block with all the celebration for foster kids, most of whom were African-American. And I, I was out there. Everybody was shivering. But what a great occasion. Santa Claus came in. Everybody got a present. You know, we take all this for granted. These kids, this this is going to be a moment in their lives that they remember forever, these forever, foster children. Forever. And, you know, uh, on December 9th, uh, we're doing the Police Athletic League. Uh, when Mr. Morgenthau was alive, we were doing as many as 40,000 kids. And we're a little bit less now. And uh, we do uh, Christmas parties for them uh, at the PAL centers. And uh, and you go to these parties and you got these kids and you want to cry because most of them have nothing. 
have nothing. So we try to give them a day of uh, entertainment, a day of good food, a day of Santa Claus uh, uh, comes uh, uh, to Harlem, gives them a, a bag full of toys. Margot works, works very hard on it. Margot has been working hard on this for 25 years. Yes. And, you know, we can't make every kid in the city happy. Uh, and, but let's, let's do as many as we can. Oh, they get so excited, these children. I've been at that center in Harlem, your other PAL centers around the city. Well, it's December 9th this year. Yeah. So, I, you know, if you're around, come on well, over. Well, you got to let me know if I can go, depending on who else you oh, have Oh, that's right. <laughs> I can see I've been if, blocked out. If the mayor out. is there, if the mayor is there, <laughs> don't Andrew, come. Andrew, the, the mayor came. Not Mayor Giuliani. No, no. Of the course. Mayor, uh, the, of course. The mayor came to do a podcast with Suzanne Miller, who does the real estate podcast. She does an excellent job. And they, they locked me in. They locked him in. in the closet. They, and they put a guard in, and, and they gave uh, me a pail. Nobody puts Curtis in the closet. That's what I have and to they, say. And they locked right him there. up in the closet. He got locked up, Curtis, <laughs> and they put a security guard in front of the door until the mayor left. Yeah, no, it was our, our chief engineer who was blocking the door. They gave me a pail. Act, said, Curtis, I never, I never thought I'd have to ask you, how did you get out of the closet? Uh, we let him out. That's nice. <laughs> Once the mayor we and his entourage him, we, needed, we needed him for the 5 o'clock show. <laughs> and I wasn't going to go back there. You know, I, I, I respect people's uh, desire to distance themselves from me. But they actually posted our chief engineer, Dan Herzl, in front of the door. He gives me a pail, and then he locks me in. <laughs> so that if, I, if Mother Nature had suddenly uh, called... I would have been able to take care of business. Curtis, I remember on the campaign trail, I think this was, yeah, this was probably spring of 2022. So it was after you ran. I was still running for governor at the time. You and I were in front of City Field. We were protesting the fact that the mayor had made an exception for artists and for athletes like Aaron Judge, like Kyrie Irving for the vaccine mandate, but not for our fired first responders, our police, our firefighters. And I remember when Mayor Adams ended up walking and walking by us by about 10 or 15 feet or something like that, and the little wink that he gave to you right there, and it was almost a, a little bit of a surreal moment for me right there because I had yeah, seen how you guys remember? had bad. Right, and I was respectful. And, and you were very respectful, and I kind of thought, hey, you know what? Maybe the mayor is uh, let He's bygones be bygones. Yeah, well, he won fair and square, so I'm respectful. But here, John hedged his bet. Said, lock him in that room. It's only going to be an hour. The but I podcast. got you up for the five o'clock show. Yes, you did. All yes, right. you did. Okay. <laughs> now Santos, he's got me. He's having a press conference right now. The Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, yeah, said that I'm not sure we should expel him. What does that mean? Curtis, what do you think? I have a strong opinion on this I expressed with Frank earlier. I want to get your opinion first. Well, look, uh, it, it sets the precedent again. He has not been convicted of anything. He is going to be. He's going to cop a plea or he's going away for a lot of years. But he hasn't been convicted of anything yet. The only reason that there is a rush on this is for the Nassau County GOP to save face. Because Andrew told his story earlier with Frank Morano in the 6 o'clock hour. In fact, uh, your recent guest, now Congressman uh, Langworthy, who was the GOP chairman at that time in the state, he had a sit-down with you when you were running in a primary to try to encourage you to drop out and run mm -hmm. for that third congressional district, that North Shore district, in which 
Santos had already staked his claim to the GOP nomination because he did pretty good the first time against Swazi. It was, it was a relatively good campaign. I'm sure you were shocked, right? Like, what, why, why do you want to knock off this guy who, who did pretty good the last time? Yeah. You know, I had already seen on the campaign trail, in some ways I had gotten lucky in the sense that he had endorsed Zeldin even before I had gotten in the race. And I had heard, as we were talking before, that he either played me or he played Wilson in the primary debates for the Zeldin team as they were going through the process. But I had already seen a few of the white lies on the campaign trail in his campaign speeches, but it was a little bit more of kind of the bloviating that politicians do sometimes, not not John, some of these crazy lies uh, that I we met come him. to know. I met him. You know, my daughter is Manhattan GOP chair, yep. and she was uh, having a fundraiser for him with uh, Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, Kevin McCarthy's going to be there. My daughter's going to be there. I always support my daughter. Yep. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll show up for breakfast. I mean, I, I showed up. I gave my $1,000 check. Yeah. I met him. And, you know, it, it, nobody thought any, you know, they should have done their homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, the GOP should have done their, their homework. Uh, Zimmerman. Who opposed him should have done his homework. Yeah, Zimmerman ran a PR agency. Yeah, this is this is the bottom line. While they're meeting with you, Andrew, See, they tried, could have hired Todd Shapiro. You hired Todd Shapiro. <laughs> Todd who? Todd. Oh, Todd Eric Adams Shapiro. You didn't pay him. You the, didn't pay him. Yeah, the best friend that Eric Adams ever had, giving him information about my campaign. <laughs> Top shelf, uh, five star guy. But anyway, the point being is. Here it is. They invite me out to Nassau County to have lunch with Chairman Cairo and his committee, of whom I've known over the years. And I'm sitting down there, and they're saying, you know, you did pretty good uh, in the area, Whitestone and Bayside, that's part of that congressional district because they hadn't settled on the lines yet. How would you like to run for that third congressional district? The first thing I said is, don't you have George Santos? Uh, he did pretty good against Swazi. Swazi is a household name. They wouldn't answer the question. Before the election, before that New York Times expose, the North Leader, which has won 15 Pulitzer Prize, it's a very prestigious newspaper in the North Shore, Long Island, covers Suffolk and Nassau, did the expose on George Santos. This is in October, before the vote in November. Zimmerman debated him twice, never brought any of this up. Both sides assumed he was going to lose. Yeah. Both the Republicans assumed he was going to lose. Don't say nothing because he's declared himself, remember, to be Jewish, to be a Latino, and get all of that proof to be a lie. Just stay quiet. Zimmerman's going to beat him. You know, we'll get him the next time. And all of a sudden, Santos crushed Zimmerman. And now both sides were stuck with egg on their face because they knew. They knew in advance, and they decided to stay quiet because they just figured he'd lose. Well, and to Speaker Johnson's point, does this create a slippery slope in your mind? I mean, you could then ask, what about Rashida Tlaib? What about Elon Omar? What about Adam Schiff, who was lied you to You want to know something? What about Jamal Bowman, who stopped an official proceeding by pulling a fire alarm? Hey, you know what? You know, what did charge him a thousand dollar fine? It's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hey. George Santos, he's probably guilty of a lot of things. I think he probably is. Okay, I think so but so are the other ones too. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, uh, the speaker should say, "Yeah, you know, uh, th- what is it, three to one in Israel to uh, to Hamas? Well, they should give up three Democrats to one Republican." <laughs> I like that, John. Okay, that's good. How's that sound? That's good. John, Andrew, is there a statute of limitation against pulling fire alarms? Because I pulled a few in school in order. 
to encourage uh, everyone to be able to vacate the school when we were taking a test that I knew I was going to fail, and I was elected to oh pull the fire God. alarm so there'd be a fire drill. Curtis, I'm not an attorney, but I've certainly been around a few of them right there, and I would just say, you know, make sure you talk about and it during the what break happened. and not on air. When we would all run out and line up, you know, in your fire drill, some of us would peel away and we'd disappear and never go back into class. Oh, it's the greatest thing. He probably learned to do that, Bowman, then. Did you ever do it in the House of Congress? No. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. There's Remember, he, he just he was confused by what that box was. <laughs> well, let's, let, 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 let's tell Mike Johnson that if we give up Santos, they have to give up three criminal Democrats. I don't know if this qualifies you to be more of the Speaker of the House or a hostage negotiator, but I want you on both boards there, John. <laughs> but let's more put seriously, you into two more, more seriously about the House... Gentlemen, we have a serious problem. The Democrats have stacked the deck. They're going to be in court possibly the end of this week, next week. They're going to take back the lines that were fair and square for Republicans versus Democrats. They resulted in so many but being elected. But that was elected. already decided. How did they re, re Well, they got they put in new judges. They got rid of the old one. They stacked the deck. They put the in deck. some new judges. So now the Democrats are saying, oh, Let's retake that account. Yeah, you see, this is the problem. For I mean, that is that is pure out fraud. And yeah, for 20 years, the Republicans had the majority. They drew the lines, and the Democrats screened the same thing. That's why you need an independent panel. Independent panel. Which they, they do created. It, they do it in California. They have an independent panel. you got to keep... The Democrats out of it, the Republicans out of it, because they're not going to be fair to the other side. Right, Curtis, which they created. And I know on your 5 o'clock show, Ed Cox has talked about this time and time again. They created this independent panel, but Democrats manipulated it, making sure that it did not go anywhere. And so that way the legislature would ultimately, which is super super majority Democrats, draw these lines up. And by the way... The reason why this is being revisited, you can go right back to last year when Kathy Hochul could not get Hector LaSalle confirmed as the Court of Appeals Supreme Court Justice here in New York. Because the truth is, if he ultimately was on the Court of Appeals, then you would not be here in this case. But the fact that Democrats, uh, that's LaSalle, absolutely, because he's fair-minded. And and, and his Hispanic... Uh, he's fair-minded more and than anything. Have, and a Democrat, They don't have that many Hispanics up, uh, up in Albany or in City Hall. And the, the truth is you can go right back to Hochul giving these legislatures 40% raises before getting her Supreme Court judge confirmed. Why on earth would you do that? Why would you utilize – why wouldn't you utilize your leverage in saying we're going to make sure that we get my pick confirmed, then we're going to talk about your raises? John, can I talk about my 40% raise right now? No, John would say – I want to make sure you work your ass off. I didn't think I could say remember, that right there. Hey, your the tushy way, off. The way, your a real, off. The, the, the way uh, a Cuomo would have done it or a way a Pataki would have done it, say, you want your raise, make sure we get law and order first. Mm-hmm. Now, wait. We got to so discuss point, yeah. that up next. Cuomo right. would not have said that because he signed no bail. All right. You're right. But they, he would have gotten something. He would have built a new tower or something. Uh, let's take that break, and when we come back, we're going to have more exciting stuff for you. And eventually, I think we have Bill O'Reilly calling you today, too. All right, stay tuned. Who are dear to us, gather near to us once more. Through the years, we all 
fates allow Hang a shining star Upon the highest bough And have yourself A merry little Christmas now Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. I really can't but stay. baby, it's cold outside. Got to go but away. baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been, been hoping that you dropping in. I'll hold your hand. Where's the snow? No snow in two Where, years. Where's the snow? Beautiful. Watch. I'll tell you, I mean, uh, Listen, it's Christmas. You know, can you believe it's like three weeks of Christmas? Yeah. You know, to that point, then, my daughter just turned two yesterday. I guess she's never seen a snowfall in her life. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, life changed two years ago yesterday. Is she uh, dating uh, Morano's uh, son? No chance. (laughs) right. I, I made this agreement with her when she was a day old. She uh she gets to start talking about boyfriends when she's twenty five. We shook on it. Yeah, and but also you've heard this statement like father, like son. <laughs> you really want your daughter dating a Frank Morano too, Carmine. This... Well, we got when when, <laughs> when 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 my daughter got married right. to uh uh Christopher Cox, a fine gentleman, Ed Cox's son, yep. and Trisha Nixon's uh, son. Uh we had on one side of the church was the Hillary clan, the Hillary people, <laughs> on the other side of the church was the Giuliani was the, people. Was the Rudy people. It was, it was the Rudy people. <laughs> and uh, we, at least we had the, the middle of the uh, church to separate the two of you. Yeah. Uh, by the way, your daughter, Andrea, and is Kissinger spectacular. And Kissinger was there. Yeah. You, there you go. Yeah, you yes. forgot. I was there, too. And Curtis was there. And Cur- Curtis, what side of that aisle were you allowed Oh, with your, with my Kumbada Cheech. Kumbada Cheech. Your father, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> you think the Clintons didn't want me on their side. Now, I was hearing a couple weeks ago on the Rip and Reed, you think that my father's gone a little soft on Eric Adams. Is that is oh, that completely. true? Yeah, really? You, you just do? like John yourself, you all believe that because he stood up to Biden, and that's why all well, these Well, let me tell you something about Eric Adams. <laughs> I like the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a fun guy. Uh, there's a lot worse we can have in the Democratic Party. We have definitely oh, seen we that agree in the city that. council. I, I agree okay. on so that. So we all agree. Council. Right. I mean, but. I hope nothing happens to Eric. You know why? You're going to get worse. I think There's succession. Who becomes the who, who becomes oh, the mayor? Of but the, but the, I think Jumani Williams. Jumani Williams. Yeah. There we go. But there we go. And the, the point that I made. Now in the you want to hear the other gossip? What's going to happen? Yes. What, what, what's stirring around? I love the gossips coming out of you, John. So, yes. Well, the, the, the story is, God forbid anything happened to Eric. Janami Williams is going to turn it down, and it's going to go to the controller, Landon. Yeah, Where it landed. Now, I know, that's I've, heard heard. He, I've heard he definitely uh, has yeah, his okay. uh, eyes on it. A party of diversity why... is going to turn it over to a white <laughs> Jewish guy, right? Think again. These are Democrats, not Republicans. You know, uh, but I would just say this, John, and the point that you make is right. Look, if you look at the Democratic primary and you look at all the crazies on there, 
Eric was, you know, maybe Ray McGuire. If Eric I, was kind of the best that you could get out of that If I was 10 years group, younger, basically. I would run again. Right. But I'm I not think, 10 years younger. To, to <laughs> me, though, and when I hear you talk about the exceptionalism of New York City, I ask, is the best that we can get as mayor somebody who's the best of the worst, basically? And I think that's what keeps Curtis up at night, along with the 17 cats purring in his ears. No, no, what keeps me up at night is uh, I'm on the best side of the other side of midnight on the weekends. <laughs> I keep people awake. I, I, I can't sleep on weekends exactly. because of Curtis. So if you want sleep, right, Andrew, if you ever, you know, your child is ill or, you know, it's moaning and you need some sleep, just turn on Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. I don't He'll know. He'll have on some guests. I'm telling you, I, I'll go right to sleep. I think this is a personal grudge over here because I just did the 6 o'clock hour with Frank, and i got to tell you, it was spectacular. And I listened to him this morning. I was up early this morning. I woke up at 12.45 in the morning thinking that it was 5 a.m., and I was late for my alarm, so immediately I was up. I listened to yeah, Frank. Am, am I correct? Both great. you and I, we have to keep him focused. we got to keep him focused. focused. When he's focused, focused he, he does great. He has to be focused yeah. on yeah. his UFOs. He's got to be focused on... <laughs> <laughs> on, on on Antarctica sinking. Yeah, uh, you've got to be. You heard that uh, iceberg is yes. moving away. Yes. See, I hope he did a story on that. Yeah, yeah, no, trust There's me. a big iceberg three times the city of New York that broke away from Antarctica. Really, I'm it's, and it's only, moving. It it's is on the move. The only place you cannot hear WABC is Antarctica. I, yeah. you know, and I'm trying to fix that. We're working on it. WABC work on it right has there. to be in Antarctica. I, I, I got, I got uh, emails from Antarctica. They said we, you, you got, you guys got to do it. Yeah, it's a penguin brigade out there. We got to make sure we get in touch with right. There. Yep. That's good. Yep. But yeah. you see, the problem with the mayor now, Eric Adams, as you can see, he's wounded. He's lost the swagger. You know, he, he, in his press conferences, he. Most of the time, he won't answer a question he lets somebody else answer it because he doesn't want to go on record as answering it, which makes it very difficult. You gotta, you gotta really, you gotta step up. You gotta deal with these questions. Even if you are the target of an investigation, even if other things are happening around you, because there are so many, this migrant situation is killing. And a situation Look, when, you're, killing when you're the CEO, whether you, when your dad was mayor, yeah. uh, he had a few crooks around him. It happened. Like, like we talked about the other day, the, the Hannock matter. I mean, they, 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 but you can't know. There's so many people reporting to the mayor. You can't know every person uh, that, that may be a crook. And by the way, any time there was even any suspicion, he'd get them out of there in a heartbeat. So, oh, absolutely. You know, that's, uh, I think the one of the absolutely. things about Adams is they hang but when around. But your confidence don't allow the, 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 the truth to come there, what happens? Well, you know, that's the, the truth always wins. We'll put it that way. You know right? who was a great guy there? Who's that? Uh, Peter, uh, Peter Powers. Powers. My Peter godfather. Powers. You, you want to know something? Peter Powers was a great man. Peter's my godfather. Okay. His family and I are like this. His daughter was my press secretary. I mentioned before, I just had her on Not That Andrew. Get on WABCRadio.com just a couple of weeks ago. She'll come on my podcast again in a few weeks. But you're absolutely right. Curtis, the only thing I would just say to what you're saying about me, for some reason... Being soft on Eric Adams, I can't believe that you would say that. I would just say with Eric Adams, just because I think the FBI may be going after him for political vengeance doesn't necessarily mean it's mutually exclusive with he might not necessarily be guilty. Put it that way. All right. I'll, I'll accept that. But everybody here believes it's all part of the Justice Department ganging up on anybody who's a critic of Joe Biden. So it's uh, all the same. Uh, it's and I think the same sing-song. And I think they've given us good reason to do that, right? Whether it be parents that are out there 
at press conferences, at, at uh, student at student events, basically saying that they don't want their kids to be in bathrooms with somebody who's of a different gender. The FBI labels him domestic terrorist. We've seen him go well, after. Trump. You know what he go needs to do now, Giuliani. if he truly believes that, if him and his administration truly believe that they are being targeted, because they're hinting that now. Mm-hmm. He needs to sit down with Governor Abbott. He has besmirched this guy. He yeah. called him a racist, a recently a madman. And all Governor Abbott said, okay, you don't want to identify with my problem. You think you have a problem in New York City? Yeah. I got ten times have the a, number of illegal aliens. Have a taste of this. Sit down. I'm a Republican. You're a Democrat. Let's form a coalition. We must seal the border. Because mm-hmm. remember, the mayor's going on record as saying, we believe in open borders. That's the policy of the city of New York. There is no policy yeah. in written There is terms. no policy. Let me tell you something. That's the one mistake that I, I told the mayor. You got, you, enough is enough. You can't invite 8 billion people to New York City. Uh, let's take a break. And we're going to have Bill O'Reilly on. And he's, he's always the best. Yeah. No cabs to be had out there. Your eyes are like starlight now. I'll take your hat. Your hair looks white. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. When's the last time you guys put on galoshes? Uh, there's been no What's snow. Galoshes, remember, with What's the steel that? buckles. The is steel buckles. Say that, or is that a violation? No snow for two years. Nothing. Can we... Uh... Can we thank the state of Florida for that? Did they take our snow as well? No, they didn't take our snow. It's now, I understand Bill O'Reilly is on, uh, on, on the line. And uh, Bill O'Reilly, welcome to, uh, well, Sid and Friends. No, today it's Cats and, uh, and Cats, Curtis, and Andrew. But we're looking for a nickname for Andrew. We haven't found one yet. Um, let me let me dwell on that. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, Giuliani has to get a nickname of respect, all right? <laughs> And uh, so I'm going to have to mull that over. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. You know, I wanted to ask you about something that's that's in your morning message and, and talking about this debate that's coming up tonight between Newsom and DeSantis. You know, you talk about how the stark difference between the state of California versus the state of Florida, how successful Florida has been, how people just seem to be leaving California. The point that I've made is Newsom is so slick and so smooth that he may be able to take some of the facts, which are obviously against him, and kind of twist it and almost look like the Kennedy to uh, to DeSantis Nixon. What are your thoughts of this debate tonight? Well, first of all, uh, what Andrew is referring to is my daily message of the day on BillOReilly.com, which runs um, audio on WABC. What are you guys doing, 730 now, 725, something like that? Yeah. Okay, so uh, you're correct that Newsom is glib. Uh, he will try to spin, uh, but the facts are the facts. And I talked to Hannity, uh, and I said, look, um, you know what's coming. Everybody knows that, that Newsom is far more articulate than DeSantis. So Newsom is going in with an advantage as far as television presentation. 
However, the facts are the facts, and you as the moderator have to, you know, basically put them up what they call on television full screen. So you can not only hear them, but read them. And then when Newsom starts to dodge, which he has to, you got to give him the 60 seconds because that's the format. You get 60, you get a question, you get 60 seconds uninterrupted to answer, and then the other person gets 30 seconds to rebut. It's a good format. Um, but at the end of the question, I said to Hannity respectfully, if he doesn't answer, then you stop it. You stop the debate format and you say, Governor, with all due respect, you did not answer the question. I will ask it again. You got to stop the BS. Now, there are only a few people on earth who can do that on television. I'm going to brag. Obviously, I'm one of them. <laughs> That's why I never moderated a debate. Even when I was, I was at uh, Fox more than 20 years, and they never let me moderate a debate because they knew I'd blow up the format when the politicians dodged. Now, this debate tonight on uh, Fox News at 9 o'clock is very important for DeSantis. It's not really important for Newsom because California is like New York. It doesn't matter how the progressive left performs. The majority is there. It's going to stay for the short term anyway. And this is bad. This, we don't live in a real democracy in New York anymore. It's a one-party system. And that's why we have such chaos, and that's why our quality of life is declining so quickly, and that's why hundreds of thousands of people are leaving New York. Well, millions are leaving California. Yeah. It's worse there. So Newsom knows that he's got a built-in, but DeSantis is on the ropes. His campaign has not uh, advanced at all. He is flat. And that's why he, he, the governor ran, runs Florida well. He does a good he, job. He can't articulate. He looks like a sour puss. That's what the nuns used to call me in St. Bridget's School. <laughs> William, you're a sour puss. And then I would go, that's because I hate to be here. And then I'd get punished and put in the corner. Um, but anyway, this is it for DeSantis. Last chance tonight. Yep, ninth inning. You bet. If if he gets waxed by Newsom, and I don't know how that is even possible, because if you look at the stats comparing Florida to California, it's not even close. I just give you one. I just give you one. Okay, people in California pay double per capita in taxes than in Florida. Double. Yeah. Highest gas prices in the country by far. And the highest real estate prices. You can't buy a house. Again, we have those problems in New York, but not to the extent they have them in Sacramento. On with Bill O'Reilly. You know, Bill, I, I thought about you this morning when I woke up to the news that Henry Kissinger had passed away at 100. And I was certain that you probably had uh, some interaction, some stories, obviously, on the air and off the air. Yes. Uh, what do you want to share with our listening audience about well, your you know, time? I'm a sharing kind of guy. Of I course. am Mr. Generous. That's <laughs> what I am. So I knew, uh, I knew Henry Kissinger very well. And we would gather at the Yankee games, the New York Yankee games. And uh, one of the games, and we would sit in the Steinbrenner box, because George Steinbrenner, when he was alive, he liked me, and Henry was a huge Yankee fan. 
So I zip into the box, and the best food on earth, I mean, you know, sitting in the owner's box at Yankee Stadium, it's like <laughs> the going best to dinner food. with cats, you know? You just get whatever you want, because there's cats. Um, but Bill Clinton's there. So Clinton is there with Henry and me. I sit in between them, all right, in the box, and I masterfully, I'm bragging again, I steered the discussion, all right, and it was during the Obama years. And, of course, Clinton was a big Obama supporter, and Kissinger was not. I learned so much by the fifth inning. I didn't see any of the game, okay? Both of those guys are so smart. I don't care whether you like them or not, but Kissinger and Bill Clinton are so smart. And I was just drilling them. Boom, boom, boom. Foreign affairs, domestic affairs, Obamacare, what kind of society, how's it changed, all of that. And I got to say that Henry Kissinger um, was a very dedicated New Yorker. And a lot of people know don't lived here forever. Didn't have to. Could have moved to Palm Beach, mm-hmm. but was loyal to his city. Uh, and I have bunch of notes that he wrote me, uh, flattering notes. So um, I was very sad to hear it, but he had a great life, 100. And those people who are calling him a fascist and, you know, all of that, you know, this Internet is so bad. Oh. Well, well but Bill, dies, Bill, Bill, Bill I, I hate to rain on this um, idolatry of Kissinger. Yeah. I heard you uh, talk about the Vietnam War the, uh, the other day and how yeah. it turned out to be a waste. And yet the authors of the secret war to expand the war into Cambodia and Laos were Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger. Excellent question. All right, let's hear it for Sliwa. A round of applause. Excellent question. History unfolds. At the moment, what Kissinger and Nixon did protected American troops in Vietnam. The policy turned out to be bad for America. However, Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, everybody after World War II, it was a different world, was frightened about the expansion of communism, just like now when they're frightened about Putin. And they won in Korea, remember that. We stopped the Chinese and the Russians in Korea, and they thought they could do the same thing. They were wrong. It was because of the terrain. It was because of the corrupt South Vietnamese government, all of that. No one could have known that, Curtis, at the time. If I had been president and I'm watching that map of North Vietnam uh, soldiers and equipment infiltrating through Cambodia and Laos, I'm bombing the hell out of them. And so would you to protect American soldiers. So I, uh, if I'm going to do the same thing, that Kissinger advocated, how can I criticize him? All right, but then he wins the Nobel Peace Prize sitting in Paris with the North Vietnamese negotiator. And just as we've hammered Biden for the evacuation of Afghanistan, that peace led to the evacuation of South well, Vietnam, right? And the last helicopter. No, no, I understand, but he, he gave everything away. He gave no, he everything didn't. away. Now, that's, again, as a historian, he didn't give everything away. So here's what happened. And this is important for uh, Americans and New Yorkers to understand. 
the peace agreement held, all right, for three years until the North Vietnamese violated it and came down in mass, armed by the Chinese and Russians, and just overwhelmed the South Vietnamese because that government never became competent, ever. It was always corrupt. What could we do about that? Nothing. When they invaded and broke the Treaty of Paris, some people, including Kissinger, wanted the USA to resume bombing. But Congress said no, and that was the end. It wasn't an abdication of responsibility like Afghanistan, all right? It was a bad deal because the South Vietnamese would not fight for their freedom, just like the Afghans didn't fight for their freedom. But in Afghanistan, we had options. In the USA, we didn't because Congress said we are not going to allow the U.S. to get back involved with that. And that's what happened. Well, I wouldn't disparage the South Vietnamese because under JFK, our CIA assassinated a duly elected president in South Vietnam because they were that concerned. Was yeah, they were concerned he that he was duly elected. It was a fraudulent election, and the guy was. Yeah, but, yeah, the guy we, was I, we, we, we assassinate a president of our ally, uh, and they know that. The people and in Kennedy, South Vietnam know that. Kennedy ordered Lumumba to be assassinated in the Congo. That's what the CIA did back then. Um, and look, you can you can criticize America for Vietnam, but our intentions were noble. You see, we wanted to stop the totalitarian communists from enslaving people, which they did. I've been to Vietnam. Those people have no freedom at all. They're fine with it, just like the Afghans are seem to be fine with the Taliban. Okay, we tried. But it was a noble intent that just didn't work out, just like the Iraq war. So similar to that. Bill, we have to take a hard break. Would you stay on for a minute? John, you know, if for you, I don't think I'd do it for Curtis. Okay. For you, I'll do it. I'll buy you two dinners. <laughs> All right, let's take that break. Okay. Is sit in friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. I've got you under my skin. Well, I like the song, but I like Bill O'Reilly better. And uh, Bill O'Reilly, I was watching. I went home last night and I watched the. Uh, uh, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree on uh, Channel 4, and I was so happy. Every other word out of the announcer's mouths was Christmas, Christmas, Christmas on Channel 4, NBC. I don't know if you got to see it at all. Yeah, and that's thanks to me and the war on Christmas <laughs> thing that we did about 15 years ago, and we won that completely. Much better turnout than Vietnam. You know what I want to say right now, and <clears throat> thanks for holding me over, by the way. I want to congratulate the New York City Police Department last night. They took what could have been a debacle for this city, worldwide debacle, if those nuts had gotten through, and they prevented that. I agree. In the process, and here's the, the kicker on the story, they were spat at, cursed at, 
physically pushed in some cases, and the police just were restrained, restrained themselves, acted professionally, which they almost always do, and they really prevented a horror. And I don't see a lot of coverage. WABC does it, but, you know, you don't see that. Um, it should have been mentioned by the NBC people last night, but they were too busy, uh, you know, singing Andy Williams songs or whatever they do at NBC now. I don't know what they do. Um, but it should have been mentioned. And then the nuts with the Swatsika signs and all of that, they go across to Fox, uh, which is across 6th Avenue, and uh, they demonstrate in front of the Fox Christmas tree. I, I mean, these people... And it's genocide, genocide this, genocide that. You know, tonight on Common Sense at 9 o'clock, I'm going to tell you, all right, because we're, we're working this right now, my uh, crack staff, that Palestinians are not prisoners in Gaza. They can leave at any time they want. They can become citizens of Israel and get a passport if they want to. This genocide stuff, it's so offensive and such a lie and I'm going to prove it, as I always do, facts, 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 try to put emotion to the side. But I was very proud of the NYPD last uh, last night, and I think Commissioner uh, Connor should be uh, praised as well. Let me ask you a question, though. There were no arrests for assaulting police officers. It's- that's because that went out that way. And that's the problem with the system. So if they had arrested the people who spit at the police officers and cursed and pushed them, what do you think Bragg would have done, Curtis? Punched and kicked them, knocked them down. What if do you, you think don't, Bragg would have done? I, I'm Bragg telling, would have let them go. I'm what telling you, you, if Bragg you continue to allow this, more cops well, are going to leave the ranks. You attack police officers, there need but to be arrests. A, Curtis, there's a time and a place. Nobody wants to be out there and get punched and kicked and knocked to the ground, and then nobody gets arrested. These are police officers. Wait, wait, Curtis. You're right. You're right. But that would have escalated things, you see? If they had started grabbing guys and throwing them in the paddy wagon, which is, of course, an ethnic slur against Irish paddy wagon, (laughs) okay? That's why it's called paddy wagon, because when the Irish immigrants came, a lot of them uh, over-imbibed, and they put them in the wagon, and they called them a paddy wagon. But for 100 years, the Irish ran the NYPD. Well, anyway... (laughs) They would, that would have escalated things. But you're right. This has got to stop. And assaulting a police officer verbally or any other way has got to be a crime that is prosecuted. Yeah. Because you, right now you've got en masse people resigning from the police department mm-hmm. who are veterans. And, and look. This is this is where Adams has got to step up yeah. and protect his. People, it's it's and I such. I don't hear much from Adams about that. It's such an impossible job. You're absolutely right, and you highlighted it so well. And the fact it worked out that well. before NBC coverage, they got up right to the base of the tree, and the cops were able to push them back. That's right, unbelievable. And if they, but if they had started grabbing them and dragging them yeah. to the paddy wagon. Then that would have escalated really fast. Bill O'Reilly, I'm going to be listening tonight. We got to take the hard break again. What are you going to talk about tonight? Well, nine o'clock to ten o'clock. We're going to lead with this genocide nonsense I just told you about, and have the facts about Palestinians in Gaza, what they can and can't do. 
Bill O'Reilly on WABC every night between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock at WABCradio.com, 770-union-dial, and BillOReilly.com. Thank you so much, Bill O'Reilly. Okay, guys. Enjoyed it. Let's go to the newsroom. So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. I love those songs. I love those Christmas songs. What do you think, Curtis? I want snow. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> help! I It'll promise help. you, it's going to be. I promise you, it's going to be a, a, a white Christmas. Oh, I don't know if all of our listeners driving in want snow, Curtis. I think you might just be, uh, you know, speaking for yourself on this one. Now, let me ask you a question because uh, if anybody knows about the economy, oil, resources, it's John Katzmatidis. You oftentimes mention. On the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, Jamie Dimon of Chase will lead with an observation and others will follow. A lot of people I don't think realize, John, that you and Jamie, other than being billionaires, have something in common. You're both Greek, right? Well, we're both Greek, yes. Uh, he, uh, his uh, father, I'm first generation because I was, uh, I was born in Greece. Yeah, English is my second language. <laughs> when Greece was Italian, right? Uh, I was conceived when Greece was Italian. <laughs> I was born when it was Greek. And, and don't, well, but, but my DNA test. Yes. I'm 28% Italian. Uh, and we love it. Yeah. The, uh, I love all 100% of you. I'm a member, I'm a member of the Columbus 28%. Club. It, I know. It is interesting. Angelo Vivolo. Uh, yeah. Because as, uh, <laughs> welcomes me. As, uh, you know, anti-Semitism has raised its ugly head. I've had to straighten now 10 people out about Jamie Diamond's heritage. Oh, he's a Jew. He's what uh, I control. I said, no. No, he's 100% Greek. Right. Uh, his father was my stockbroker. Really? Yes. Wow. And his father, um, uh, worked at Merrill Lynch for a hundred years and then he came over to JP Morgan. So now he's making big news. He has said, we- and, uh, by the way, the tragedy. Yeah. His mom and father were, were, uh, I think married for 60 years. They died within 24 hours of each other. Wow. That is tragedy. Yeah. You know? Ugh. And, uh, they were good people. We used to go to dinner at least once a month together, and um, it was it was it was tragic to lose both your mother and your father in 24 hours. The two biggest Greeks, though, in New York, John Katzmatidis. I outweigh him, though. I'm 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 at least 100 pounds. <laughs> but also, I think in the billionaire department, and he got a few more billions. He, he does as well. So. Yeah, as of yesterday, did an interview with the New York Times said, we are going to have a recession. That maybe possibly could be, we are going to have a recession. And he said to all the Trumpers out there, step aside. We're putting all our chips me, on Nikki Haley. We want moderate Democrats to vote for her. Me and Jamie Dimon met and uh, helped run some uh, Democratic campaign back when Clinton was, uh, uh, was president. Uh, and that's how I originally met him, too. Uh, and, um, 
He was always, uh, Jamie Dimon has always been a Democrat. Uh, and I was a, a Bill Clinton Democrat because I liked the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's a, a real smart guy, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And um, uh, I think Jamie Dimon is wrong on this, even though he's a member of the Fed, uh, J.P. Morgan, one of the largest banks in, in the world. Uh, people don't want a recession, and we've been fighting recession. And one of the things that was going to put this country under, under, don't forget, they kept, Joe Biden became president. He shut down the oil business. He shut down the oil business. The price of oil doubled. The price of oil doubled. It took everything. It took the price of food up 20%, 30%. It took, because everything depends on oil, diesel fuel, and he caused this, yeah. and he he cut production. All of a sudden, he and that's what really caused the recession. The Fed had no choice to fight inflation to raise interest rates, but Powell was wrong too because he raised interest rates so fast, yeah. five hundred points in in, in in one year. It broke. It, it almost breaking or broke. The construction industry and real estate, the uh, the thirty year mortgage became eight uh, percent. It, it destroyed. Yeah. Then the next victim was the banks. The banks uh, were are in deep crap because their bond portfolios, the real estate values, since the real estate values went to crap, the banks themselves were worried for their own existence. And then the Fed went in, or whoever the regulatory agency was, and took over three banks. And in New York, Signature Bank and First Republic, for no reason at all, it didn't have to happen. They could have fixed it, but they wanted to do it. Now, let me tell you what's going on in 2024. In 2024, they're going to prove to you Bidenomics works. Ah, uh, I know it's coming. The price of oil has gone down from $100 to $75. Mm-hmm. Uh, NBC yesterday was, was, was broadcasting the lowest price of, uh, of gasoline since whenever. Almost below $3. <laughs> and then interest rates, they're going to go down drastically. The 10-year T-bill has gone down from 5.4 to 4.3 in in two weeks. So you know what you're going to do? The, pre- the interest rates come down. The 30-year mortgage comes, bond rate comes down, the uh, mortgage rate. Uh, the uh, price of gasoline comes down. Then the Walmart announced that last week. There's deflation in food, and the price of food is going to start coming down. So... President Biden, Joe Biden, is going to stand up and say, see, Bidenomics works. So that is 2024 is an election year. Yeah. And the Democratic Party, very smart people, very, uh, you know, conniving. Yep. That's how they're going to win or plan to win or nominate Joe Biden for the uh, for for Democratic primary. And then what happens? Well, we talked about it with uh, Judge Napolitano. Uh, they're going to shoot down. They don't want Joe Biden to run. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Right. For sure. Joe Biden will not debate Donald Trump. Yeah. 
Okay. Won't be able to stand up to it. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come and back. we come back. I want to ask you. You, you uh, both of you. Say, look, look at Curtis is shot. No, no. I, you're, I you're, shot you're wrong ESG. on that. You're wrong on I've that about ESG Biden. I've heard ESG and diversity, Biden equity, and cruising is Let's losing money. Break. I want to ask. Jingle around the clock. Mix and a mingle in the jingling feet. That's the jingle bell rock. In the morning. What you say? Be just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. White Christmas coming, Curtis. Where is the snow? Oh, Two years. Went to the 25th of the month. <laughs> I see lots of salt that they have warehoused in the sanitation depot. Well, Monday, Christmas falls on a Monday. Yeah. And uh, I'll meet you that Monday morning. So you are, you are, <laughs> you are predicting snowfall for Christmas. It's going to be a white Christmas. Write it down. Okay. Well, look. I want to ask you a little bit about what you said before you went to break. So thinking about all this, what this means, when Jamie Dimon says there's going to be a recession, you saying what I tend to agree with, which is the Washington economic establishment will do everything they can to prevent a recession and help Boracan. What does that mean to the New Yorker that over the last couple of years has well, seen nobody wants to pay, prices nobody go up wants to pay 8% mortgage. Mortgage okay? rates go through the roof. I mean, maybe uh, when the interest rates are that high, maybe the banks are making too much money. Yeah. Okay. And if the mortgage rate stays at 8%, if uh, oil stays at $100 a barrel, Democratic Party doesn't have a chance in heck in getting elected. Mm-hmm. So guess what? On this particular case, Jamie Dimon is one of the smartest guys I know. But in this particular case, he's wrong because politics is going to outdo what's right and wrong in 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 the Fed, what's right and wrong uh, in uh, the financial community. Now, question: He was on the stage. And guess what? They're going to produce enough oil. All of a sudden, they're advertising. NBC last night when yeah. it I tuned it in. NBC says, oh, the United States is producing more oil than ever before. Yeah. And what that means I from mean, a domestic it, standpoint, it means, but also from a global standpoint with these two right. wars we but have. But now, going on, let me ask you, John, the Saudis talking about turning off the spigot. They, turn, less they, production. they canceled their meeting. They canceled their meeting. You didn't read the news, the news at 3 o'clock in the morning. So if OPEC reduces its production, then what happens? 
uh, either the U.S. By the way, Russia and OPEC have been lying for the last six months. Have you known OPEC to ever tell the truth? Never. Okay, thank you. <laughs> they, they they keep saying we're dropping production, dropping production, getting another five dollars a barrel because they're they're lying to you saying we're we're, we're dropping production. And guess what? They make another zillion dollars. Wouldn't it be nice if we were energy independent again? Remember those good old days? We had how the long ago was that? Four years ago? We had the capability of being energy independent between us, Alaska, Canada, and we could be an exporter. Yeah. And the American people can make a zillion dollars instead of the, the money being made overseas. Making, I mean, the OPEC nation's making a zillion now, dollars. Yesterday, yesterday on the New York Times stage, Jamie Dimon is basically taking a page from Coke and said, put all your chips on Nikki Haley. Do not vote for Trump. In fact, moderate Democrats don't even consider voting for Biden or the alternative. You should all coalesce around Nikki Haley. I don't think uh, Diamond, who I believe is a Democrat, I don't know what his party oh, yes. he, he, is. He's always been a Democrat. Right. I met him during the Bill Clinton campaign. Right. So how do you think you're helping Nikki Haley, when he doesn't understand the base of the Republican Party is not what it used to be, the country club Republicans, and the, the Bushes. And it's not I, there. Yeah, I, I look, I think he's wrong on this. I think he's wrong on I think it's going to actually have the opposite effect. And you almost wonder if he thinks that. But there's not the Democratic Party has to prove to the American people that Bidenomics works and the price of gasoline is going to drop. The stock market is going to go up 10%. And interest rates are going to drop. They are trying as darn as they are. I want to okay. move on to one other thing that you have an expertise in, John. As a matter of fact, you ended up highlighting for me. Yesterday, my daughter's birthday, we took her to a wonderful place on the Upper West Side. Until I walked in and I realized, wait a second, everywhere on the walls they were sharing pronouns. She, he, this, bang, bang, for two-year-olds to see. And it made me think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and what we've seen as ESG that's gone through our economic financial it's system. It's being practiced by weak CEOs. Yep. It's being practiced with by weak banks. Yeah. And and, and, and it's not going to happen. The American people is not going to allow that. Look, uh, Target was a target. They lost. Yep. Uh, Disney, they lost. Mm-hmm. Budweiser. Uh, Budweiser, yeah. they lost. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, all of a sudden, NBC last night, every other word was Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And I enjoyed the Christmas music, and I enjoyed Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Yeah. But the woke culture is dying and is under attack. Now, you had a statistic before. Global investments in ESG over the last three years have lost $5.2 trillion from $35 trillion down to $30 trillion. When I dug more into this, John, which you were the one that highlighted originally, but I dug into this report, in the United States, global investment in ESG is down 17, from $17 trillion to $8.4 trillion, more than 50% over the last four years. Why? Washington is conning the American people. These electric vehicles, 3,900 dealers have signed a resolution and send it to President Biden saying, enough, we can't sell these electric Mm -hmm. cars. I mean, they've been blowing up in people's uh, garages. And I wonder why Chubb is insuring homes when you put an electric car in it. 
And then the, 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 the car blows up, and guess what? The home burns down, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, electric vehicles don't work. Uh, what the chairman of Toyota has said, I'm going to make diesel uh, cars. I'm going to make uh, uh, gas cars. I'm going to make electric cars. I'm going to make, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, hyper cars? Uh, Hybrid. Solar. Hybrid Are they doing cars. solar cars yet yeah. at this point? No, not yet. <laughs> Only airplanes. <laughs> if the sun is shining. And Tanks let, to go into war. Let, let the consumer choose what kind of car they want. The, the uh, car dealers have uh, have like a year's worth of cars laying in their lots electric cars that the that General Motors was forcing onto them that they can't sell. Yeah. So there's a con game going on to the American people and I, I hate to say because I don't want to criticize any president, but President Biden has pushed the electric vehicle market. All right. Yeah. When you say electric vehicle, uh, you say Elon Musk. That's how he's made his wealth. That's what's propelled him to be one of the richest guys on the planet. He uses that wealth. He bought Twitter. Make a list of what we're going to talk about for the last segment because we're coming up on a break right now at 935. Well, this and- hour is sponsored by PeerlessBoilers.go to PeerlessBoilers.com or PavilionTankless.com to find the dealer near you. Peerless Boilers. They're the world's best built boilers. Wow. Let's take that break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to have the closing segments. in the snow. With every Christmas card I write, may your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be Sid and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. I want that snow, John. We haven't had a snowfall in two years. frightening, can't you tell? You're predicting a white Christmas. I predict a white Christmas. Write it down. Curtis has been pushing vehicles that actually are powered by snow. Can you believe that? They're not working too well in New York these days, though. <laughs> well, now we left with Elon Musk. Let's talk about He's, Elon Musk. You know, we we looked up what he he said. Why don't you read it back to us, uh, Andrew? Yeah, because I don't know what he said to he get himself retweeted, in trouble. Right, he retweeted an original tweet. Oh, well, let's hear what the tweet is about, because I don't know. I never heard about it. Uh, and then Disney reacted at it. Disney reacted. Microsoft, and, all the different uh, companies. Uh, well, and and well, used really? that as an excuse. Used it as an excuse to cut advertising. But they really wanted to, to screw him anyway. 
But really what what they ended up doing was Media Matters of America ended up setting up a fake account, basically. And what this account did was they followed specifically the advertisers, so Apple, IBM, missing a couple other ones in there, NBC and Comcast. And then they also followed uh, extremist Nazis, basically. And what they would do is they they refresh the feed incessantly so then that way they could get a picture-in-picture of a tweet saying what does that mean? something to the effect of Heil Hitler along with the Apple uh, symbol right there, right below it, saying this is what you're advertising but, to. Uh, and media, Andrew, yes. Andrew, say it slowly so the rest of us uh, uh, what, college sure, dropouts sure, sure, can sure. understand what you're saying. <laughs> what, what it means is Media Matters set up a fake account in order to show advertisers that they were advertising on an anti-Semitic platform, on a platform that pushed anti-Semitism, even though this was not something that was organic, they try, they basically created what was a uh, a, a fake account, more or less. Right, in so order you would media cease. matters created a fake me, account. Me, yes, they ended up basically getting a result and trying to basically find a target what and create is, a result. What is the uh, the the item that uh, he retweeted. Have you been able, able to find it? Yeah, I'll read it. I, I, look, yeah, I, read it slowly sure. so everybody can understand what we're talking about. And, and there's some grammatical mistakes in this, So uh, just so you know. I'm shocked. shocked. Jewish communities this is what Elon Musk retweeted from a Twitter follower named the artist formerly known as Eric. Uh, maybe it's Eric Adams. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest SHIT now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing, and it tails off, and Elon Musk says, you have said the actual truth. So say it again. Read it one more time. One more time. One more time. Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. I really, I really haven't heard uh, Jewish communities do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you? I mean, well, hey, maybe, maybe this is a job for Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner, if you're listening, call in. This is a replacement theory. This is the concept where the left wing promotes the fact that you have to eliminate references to Caucasians wherever possible, contributions and such. And hit it, the alternative is diversity. Uh, replace it with uh, blacks, Hispanics, that's the growing population. And the concept here is that there are Jews, part of the left wing, leaders of some of these left wing groups. We've heard uh, your very dear friend come on at the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, uh, Randy Weingarten, who promoted the candidacy of the socialists who became the mayor of Chicago and it's destroyed. By the way, we didn't talk about that. Maybe we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Yes. The students in in New York City are being hurt. I mean, I understand the truancy rate, whatever that word is. 40%. 40%. Unbelievable. I mean, we're hurting the kids of New York City. Yeah. And paying the most of any state to do it. That's the thing that's amazing about all this. Did and Anthony Weiner call in yet? <laughs> of course not. But we also we got, we got to find find Anthony Weiner. We also have to talk about Hillcrest High School. Yes, and the debacle that took place there, 
as there was a Jewish teacher who was chased down the hallways, was stuck in an office of an assistant principal because students were threatening her. We never heard about that. Yeah. Uh, they kept it quiet, Department of Education. And then only until the New York Post exposed that right before Thanksgiving was there any attention. I, I understand that. But let's go back to the original. Uh, well, hold on. Call Anthony Weiner. Do you have his number? So he wants to come on. I, I, would, I would just say in looking kind of at what we can expect here with Hanukkah celebrations starting next no, no, week. But I'm trying to say did, did Microsoft – and and uh, Disney, yeah, uh, use it as an excuse to to to, well, to, to break yeah, it off. As they, you know, might have, they have a right. Have that's why I need a Jewish yeah, opinion. I think Microsoft might have. Yeah, I think I they think have a right. right. Or not to advertise the only one on Twitter. With. They don't have to advertise on Twitter. Yeah, but when you end up as a media company or as a group that says you're a media wall- no, no, watchdog. Kind of having a target but and then creating look, to me, fake Elon it's Musk, like Elon Musk has answered it. He said, "F to all of them. I don't need your money." Cur- so they'll all go on their merry way, right? But imagine if the Adams administration basically said, Santa Cur- Curtis on. kills babies." I want to basically have all these people that that uh, that end up uh, uh, highlighting killing babies along with Curtis. I'm going to follow Curtis and this in order to get a result, and they have that result, and they publish it out here. About the you only thing he different. didn't do against me in the well, campaign. Well, I gave him an idea for 2025. <laughs> Anthony Weiner, there you go. have you heard? Welcome to, uh, we haven't decided what the show's name is yet, uh, but welcome. Good morning. I, I think I think you should call it ABC. Anyone but Curtis. Good grief! Is oh that my man God! <laughs> now, did you hear what Elon Musk retweeted? And I want to know how bad it sounds to the Jewish community. And you are a level-headed Jew, a Jew, right? I mean, look. I mean, here's the problem: is that when Elon Musk came in. I was one of the liberals that said, "Fine, anyone who wants to come in, but you can't make it a complete cesspool because." then no one's going to want to be on there. And the problem, Elon Musk, and he apologized. People are not paying much attention to it. He said it was the worst thing he ever tweeted. He made a mistake in doing it. I give him the benefit of the doubt. The problem is... No, no, we all agree. We, we, we like to give yeah. the benefit of the, uh, the doubt. But what, what he retweeted, how bad did it sound to you as a Jew? It was very bad. I mean, it's very bad. This whole idea... And what part of, of Jews- it... Yeah. The whole idea, the, one of the oldest canards in the book, the oldest anti-Semitic canard, is the idea that Jews are trying to do something, to, since we're small in numbers, to increase our power by replacing other people. And that was basically, I don't want to give more oxygen to what he retweeted, but basically said the guy was telling the truth. But it's just one of many things. That's the problem, John. So See, what I'm trying to establish, so what I'm trying to establish, did this just, did it happen? Did Disney go against Musk because they wanted to do it anyway, or, or Microsoft, or was it uh, something that just happened? Let me, let me tell you, this has been going on for a long time. The ADL has taken it up. There have been studies. Look, put yourself in, in, the, in, the, in the seat of, of Warner Brothers or Nike or any of these people. If, if you, Red Apple, had advertisement going on on Twitter 
and it was appearing next to people being anti-Semitic and racist and whatever, you would say, oh, this is not good for my brand. These guys are making business decisions. This is capitalism. But, Anthony, you know as well as I do that this was not organic. This is something that Media Matters created, basically, in order to do this. I mean, you've even had people did, try to actually... Did Media Matters create that tweet? They, they well, ended wait a minute, up... Wait a minute. No, they, ADL, they followed well, specifically you know what, and, and refreshed, 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 refreshed tens of thousands of times in order to get that desired result. That's why it's well, not how organic. Do, well, how Anthony? Do you, how do you explain... How, how do you explain what the ADL is, what their researchers said? There's no doubt if you spend any time on, on Twitter X recently, it is a real cesspool. It is, it, I mean, you can say it's free speech, but it's bad speech. Yeah, but does Anthony Weiner, the consumer then has their right. They can either participate, they can opt out as a advertiser. It's just one forum of many forums. Twitter does not rule the world. It does not rule the world. I, I agree, but you've got to you've got to understand these businesses are trying to make these decisions. Look, the same thing happened around Black Lives Matter. A lot of these companies put Black Lives Matter banners on their websites, and they suffered losses. Companies can make speech decisions, but they can also decide not to advertise somewhere. There's no rule that says they have to. Let me ask you a question: Do you eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream, Anthony Weiner? I I I, I love it, but they're wrong on Israel. <laughs> Do you, do you prefer though a Twitter that um, that ends up deplatforming the fourth oldest newspaper in the country two weeks before an election? By the way, I think there's some irony that you guys are interviewing Anthony Weiner about Twitter. I am not going to defend Twitter. That's for sure. <laughs> well, no, we just want to know the truth. I don't want you to, to, to defend or not to defend. I just want to know the truth, and and, and that's what, what WABC I, stands I, I for. Have, I I have long advocated as a liberal. I have no problem with Musk buying a product, advertising, saying whatever the heck he wants. But with the right of speech comes responsibility. And I think that so far he's let down in his responsibility. And that's why his company has gone from a $40 million asset to a $15 million asset. Yeah, and remember, he's sucking up the loss. It wasn't making money anyway when he bought it, Twitter. And guess what? The world, Trump survives without Twitter. Let's remember that. Trump was given an opportunity to return. He said, hey, look, I got my own social networking platform. There's so many social networking platforms out there. I don't know why everybody gets hysterical about this. I think you're you know why, Curtis? It's because a lot of reporters talk to each other on Twitter. Ah, that's that's no, no, right. None of none of ABC's listeners, not none, but very few ABC listeners care because they come to ABC for a different. They come for a conversation, not people yelling at the top of their lungs. That is correct. That is correct. It's really I don't listen to Mark Levin. <laughs> but I never thought I, I never thought about that. You're the last guy in the world who wants to be talking about Twitter. Exactly. That's excellent. Actually, that was quick. That was good. See, you gotta give Anthony Weiner credit. He's no holes barred. He goes at it. He goes at it. But anyway, Anthony, uh, I will be looking forward to engaging you a Saturday, left versus right. A lot of people don't realize Anthony's hours have expanded. Andrew, I love listening to him because he's the only one here on all of WABC who takes on the Trumpers. He's the only one, and he does it with respect, and he engages them with information. Then we, you, got, you have to have a fist fight with, uh, uh, with, with uh, what's your nickname? 
I don't know. We're still waiting on a nickname. Yeah, MAGA. MAGA Giuliani. MAGA Giuliani right. will take it. Right, but it's great. you got to listen to his show, 2 to 4. I come on with him from 4 to 5. We, 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 he, I'm going to do a one-hour segment with Anthony Weiner. One, one that would be good. He takes on all comers. He, I've never known Anthony to shrink and, uh, from and ever and taking and, on. And, and Andrew and Anthony should go at it one time, too. Sure, that would be good. A versus A. You're right. We gotta take a break, but Anthony, stay, stay on, Anthony. We gotta take a break. Let's take that break. How I'll hate going out in the storm, but if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. The fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Radio 77. WABC. Oi. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And uh, we only got a minute left. My God. It's flown by. Oh, but we got three or four hours tomorrow. What are we going to talk about tomorrow? Got to talk about how Jewish teachers held a press conference and said we're not safe in our public schools. And, and the, the kids are getting screwed. Yeah. And the, the unions. Kids, I mean, the kids are not getting an education. And, and that's how they're hurting New York even more. Yeah. 40% truancy rate, and we spend $36 billion on the Department of Education. That's a third of our budget. Complete joke. A political and, joke. Yeah. That's the, what they the, are. The, the, you know, we got to take care of our kids more. And so many other subjects to talk about. Will, will Santos be a former congressman well, tomorrow? We'll find out time. tomorrow. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see what um, Michael Johnson and does. I'm and going... I understand Michael Johnson is going to be in New York. Over yes, the weekend. Yes, he will. That's right. Yes, he will. And by the way, I'm going to uh, confer with the Farmer's Almanac to see if, in fact... Snow on Christmas Day. John Katsimatidis' his prediction is correct that there will be a white Christmas on Sunday. We haven't had snow in New York City, in the surrounding area, for about two years. P- do pigeons love snow? Do they enjoy no. it? No. no, they don't like snow. No. See, I'm, I'm learning all this. Have stuff. you been feeding them? Yes. All right, just checking. Yeah, okay, John and I, we well, feed the pigeons. Yeah, I know. We want to thank everybody for listening to uh, us this morning, and uh, our ratings are even higher than Sid's. But tomorrow they're going to be even higher, higher. <laughs> you sure you want to tell Sid that? He's not listening. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Andrew Giuliani, uh, thanks for thank jumping on board again. Thank you, guys. Thank you, hey, John wait, Curtis. wait, listen. This is our five o'clock thing. What do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and, and the, the American. American. Way. God bless America.